Alright, welcome to this week's Sports Block Podcast. Nathan Sacken here alongside my good friend and co-host from the sports director there at KORN Radio in, in Mitchell, South Dakota, none other, none other than Travis Krenz. Travis, how are we doing? We're doing good. Good. Off to some basketball here. What do we got here? Got your Virginia Tech squad beating Duke. Interestingly <laughs> enough, Virginia Tech losers of seven straight games coming into this game against Duke. And they were favored by two. So what does that tell you about Duke? Duke's not very good. Yes. And Duke's probably going to lose this game. Yes. Uh, we have a number of teams that are flirting with the bubble. You know, the Kentuckys of the world, uh, Penns, Pittsburghs, uh, Virginia Tech, Florida. A lot, lot of Power 5 teams really struggling. I think Michigan State's going to find its way on there at some point, but uh, we'll get to all that here in a little bit, and we're going to talk plenty about the NFL divisional round. It was not nearly as good as last year, so we don't even have to throw in the hyperbole about that, but significant news coming out of Brookings, South Dakota last week. On Thursday evening, uh, reports surfaced that South Dakota State head football coach John Stiglmeyer, uh, Coach Stig, as we affectionately call him, uh, Holy Nutmeg, uh We've had on the the show plenty of times. Now he would be stepping down, and Jimmy Rogers, defensive coordinator, will be taking over as the head coach. They had a press conference on Friday, and I'll admit when I saw the news right away, I was saddened by it because I wanted him to come back for one more year to try and win back-to-back national championships, and you just you just hope that. The the program doesn't like that. The program's able to keep the standard now that Stig is built and set by winning that national championship. But with with the familiarity and just you know keeping it in house with this hire of Jimmy Rogers, and you don't want to lose him to Power Five school at all as a defensive coordinator because that was the rumor maybe to be going on around. Uh, it maybe was a little earlier than some of us would have liked or thought, but ultimately the boss, uh, Lori, is uh, uh, Coach Stig's wife, said it was time, and uh, yeah, to avoid getting uh, Jimmy Rogers poached to another staff, here we are in a new era of South Dakota State Jackrabbit football. Marcus came over like Wednesday night after we talked. And I asked him, what's what's going to happen first? Stig retires or the Vikings fire Ed Donovan? Ooh, ooh, ooh. And it just so happened that that happened the very next day. Both. About 4 o'clock, Stig, uh, that news got out. And about 5.30, 90 minutes later, the Vikings announced that Ed Donatel uh, was fired. Wow, wow. Very you know how uh, Matt Zimmer wrote his letter to Santa and uh, like in the Argus Leader last year, or you know, I guess technically last year, but you know, just a month ago about what he wanted, and one of it was Carlos Correa to come back. And a lot of things that he's in a national championship for the Jackrabbits, and a lot of what he wished for from Santa came to fruition. You almost, I think, had the exact. Same thing then with this in terms of what's going to happen first, and both happen in the span of less than a less than a half hour. Yeah, so I figured you know he may come back for one more year because uh, SDSU is going to win the national title next year, uh, so that would be good to get two. 
But and he's at 199 wins. Yep. But there's nothing that could top this year. No. Nope. We see so many athletes and so many people uh, come back and come back and come back. They win a championship. They they win a title. And you think this would be the perfect opportunity for uh, so and so uh, to stop playing football or to stop doing this? But they decide to come back, and they come back, and their their careers kind of end on a down note. Mm-hmm. And he had the, he had the perfect ending. He absolutely so, did. He absolutely. I mean, did. There, there's nothing they can do, and I, I fully believe they will win it again next year. There's nothing they can do next year that would top this. They could go undefeated. They could beat North Dakota State again. It would not be as good as the first time. Sure. Absolutely right. Um, one of the things I thought of right away was, like, recruiting. Like, do, do, do any recruits say that, well, now that that Coach Stig isn't there, not going there? I mean, Jimmy Rogers certainly is younger and probably, you know, easier to relate to. Um, and he's going to put his own stamp on the program, but that's, I think, in part what made SDSU so special was that Coach Stig had all of these, uh, it was very, you know, had all these great assistants, could replace them all so well, and he was kind of more hands-off and, you know, obviously didn't swear at all, you know, that's where Holy Nutmeg comes from, um, but... You know, you just wonder now, of course, Jimmy's going to put his stamp on the program, but how much of this program is going to change? Or, you know, is the continuity still going to be there for the most part? I think it is, but that's one of the the concerns. Like, is there going to be any drop-off now in the, in in their, expect not in their expectations, but in the the program in general and, and recruits? I don't think so. The only reason why Stig stepped away because was because Jimmy Rogers was going to get the job. Like, if they were going to give it to an outsider, he would have stayed. But I'm sure it went something like, I'm ready to retire. Who's, who's going to be the next player? Are you going to give it to Jimmy Rogers? Okay, I'll step out. So, I mean, he wants Jimmy Rogers to be the coach of the team. And he feels comfortable with that. And they got a couple of assistant spots to fill, but Jimmy Rogers is 34; is a year younger than us. Mm-hmm. I remember him playing. Coordinator's 27 years old. Their defense coordinator's 28. Yeah, it's so very young. Yeah. I do wonder, you know, like who uh, Jimmy will replace? You know, the assistants uh, yeah. that they've lost already, and if that would have if that would have changed if they had known that. Stig was retiring. Probably not because there's a, a significant pay gra- upgrade, I would imagine, uh, for all of these individuals. But you just wonder if if any of the assistants, if they would have stayed on, if they had known that this was um, likely. Well, it's, I mean, it, it happened fairly quickly. It was less than two weeks after they won. Mm-hmm. So I think wherever they were going, they were set to go there. So... Uh, Charlie put up a very good, a very nice post about, you know, this coach did coming in on, on our radio show and, you know, taking the time and how not very many head football coaches would do that. Um, and so like, aside from the fact that he's a really good football coach, coach Stig's just a better human being. Uh, I mean, he, he embodies everything that you want to and in someone and he's 
just a really good guy overall, and uh, his impact already has been felt at the university and certainly within the football program. Now, you know, obviously winning that national championship. Hopefully a statue gets built of him one day, even though he wouldn't want that at all. But what do you what – what are going to be your lasting um, – uh, memories and what do you think the overall legacy is of Coach Stig, not only on the football team but SDSU in general? Yeah, extremely nice guy. Nothing against Scott Nagy, but if I asked Scott Nagy to do a coach's show, he probably would have said no. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Stig said yes to do it two years in a row. I think the second year uh, he had another coach's show that he had to do. And he still did ours. Yeah, the one was that the one at Cubby's because we started it yeah. first, I believe, and then Miriam yeah. and, and company took it over as well. I remember, I remember Miriam asking me like during the summer, like, "Are you gonna do that coach show again?" I'm like, "Yeah." So they were doing it. It had already been decided they were gonna do one. So yeah, and then he didn't have to do ours at all, but he did. And looking back at it, he did like twenty five of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, through the years and yeah it was uh, very good and then we moved it upstairs to the union and gave away shirts and people asked questions and that was a whole heck of a lot of fun and so, that was in the early like transition years and and whatnot like we were there for the building blocks like i said i remember jimmy rogers playing linebacker in fact i think i recall maybe it was him i think it was like there was a bad penalty or he dropped an interception i think on hobo day against uh, I, whoever they were playing. And the Jacks ended up losing that game. But, uh, I mean, the, obviously Jimmy can't, became, like, one of the best players on the defense there for, for a number of years, and he's an even better uh, coach now. But, I mean, he is he is so invested in this program, and you could see that with the press conference and stuff. And I don't want to say, like, oh, that was my lasting memory of Jimmy Rogers. I just remember something from Hobo Day with him, but I remember how great of a player he was. Um, but you could tell how much this program means to him and how you know thrilled he is to be at SDSU um, for the foreseeable future. And I don't know. I, I talked with Matt Zimmer is going to come on later in the podcast here. I recorded something with him um, late last week, kind of after this news broke. It was the, the just impeccable timing. And I, oh no, where was I going with this here? Oh, I think I, I asked him, like, you know, it, it's the kind of the end of an era here when we had, you know, I think for the longest time SDSU had was the only school to have the longest tenured men's basketball head coach and women's basketball head coach and, and football coach, or, you know, like the combined average of the, the tenures of those coaches Stig was at 26 years. Nagy was at, what, 19, 20? I mean, he was there for a while. AJ's well into his, you know, 23rd, 24th season, whatever it is now here at SDSU. Um, that that era is gone. It, it left with Nagy, but you still had Stig and AJ, and now it's just AJ. And I wonder if Jimmy Rogers is going to be that kind of like Stig-esque where he's going to stay here at the university as long as the university wants him and keeps playing to that standard and level, or is he going to end up going to a Power 5 school, kind of like what we've seen, or just the FBS, kind of like what we've seen there at North Dakota State, or is this more like of a family-oriented 
deal because it feels different in that regard than say North Dakota State. Yeah, and if they have success like you think they would, you know, what type of a job could he get offered? Could he get a you know, wherever where where does he want to go? Does he want to go to a Mountain West school? Does he want to go to a Mac school? Where do you go from South Dakota State if you win your multiple national titles? I don't know. Well, yeah, if, if you're like your coach climbing, you go to Kansas State in the Big 12. Yeah. I think Chris Kleiman will be there for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think he'll be there for a while. He's 34. They're just in a perfect position to dominate for a long time. Mm-hmm. Everything stays the same. Nothing changes. You don't got to bring in some guy like... T.J. Alzelberger, who has no idea what anything is around here. Mm-hmm. You bring somebody in that's been here for almost 15 years plus 17 years. You, there's like you know, there's like just no difference. Just whatever he wants to do, he'll do. But it's the perfect, perfect replacement. So yeah, it's perfect time for it. You know, have a lot of success, especially next year, and kind of a different uh, swagger to it. Mm-hmm. It was humble, and Jimmy Rogers said during his press conference about like how this will be the last group of linebackers that'll leave with just one national title. So you know, Stig would never say that, but right, he's talking about some returning linebackers got one title, and mm-hmm. he'll be the last to leave. That last group will be the last to leave with just one. So, and you should be confident because nobody came close to beating them in the playoffs. Are you worried about Montana State? Worried about North Dakota State? Holy Cross gave them their their toughest test. They did. Montana State was a blowout. North Dakota State was a blowout. They won every game by three, four touchdowns. It was it was domination in the playoffs. So it was good to see. And yeah, Stig was. I would name the field after him, John Stiglmeyer Field. Yes. Whatever they've done with, uh, like, Bill Snyder, that's who he reminds me of at Kansas State. Yep. So name it uh, John Stiglmeyer and Family Field or whatever they want to do there. I'll do that, um, if not this year, then next year. Get that done. So, yeah, everybody he was around, he treated well. Mm -hmm. Doesn't take much effort to be a nice person, you know? And people remember that, and it's from a small town in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Selby. much forever, and yeah, he'll be remembered for the the type of person he was, and that's kind of what you probably want to be remembered for. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, he's left the program in good hands. I think Jimmy Rogers will do incredible work there. I'm hopeful. I think you know they're going to keep getting the recruits. I mean, they're they're really almost tight end you now here. <laughs> Dallas Goddard's playing outstanding. I would say he's a top five tight end in the NFL. Uh, Tucker Craft's going to be an early draft pick. Zach Hines is, is good. They have some uh, freshman tight ends or some young tight ends that are good. There's a lot of, of good stuff going on at SDSU. They just got to keep keep up with the recruits. But I think it maybe it likely is going to get easier winning that national championship. And you're just seeing all the success. And again, I think it's the family oriented style. It just feels like a tight like a family program. Unlike other programs around the country, there's and maybe it's because we're so close to it. You know, being uh, you know, being that we're alums of South Dakota State and we've 
been around the football team before, you know, been around, you know, the sports as, as much as we have, but it does have a different feel to it, I think, than maybe others, other programs have. Yeah, they're big time now, yeah. Because no other, no other sport, no other team can win a national title. Like basketball's never going to win a national title. You know, wrestling, swimming, you know, volleyball, just go down the line. The only one that has and ever will is football. Just because you are, in every other sport, you're competing with the biggest college. Yeah, I don't know, wrestling's doing all awesome. You don't have to compete with Ohio State, right. Alabama in football. You don't have to compete with Kansas in basketball. You do have to compete with Kansas in basketball, so... Um, football's in a unique position where they can where they can win a national title and be the best team in their division mm-hmm. and these other schools can you know a, a sweet 16 is like the national title for for mid-major basketball well I, I, I mean wrestling's had a lot of success here lately they had um, good results at, at the Virginia duels here not too long ago I mean they're competing in the big 12. It seems they can win an, an individual national title. Sure. Yep. But as far as a team, no. Right. Right. That's true. So uh, thank you, Coach Stig, for everything that you've done uh, in, in helping SDSU win that first national championship. Jimmy Rogers, best of luck to you. We hope that you you bring some more hardware to Brookings. But um, it, it's the dawning of a new era here at SDSU, and uh, it's it's we're hopeful that you know that great days are still to come here because we're still basking in the glow of that national championship. Um, let's go. Let's turn our attention now from college to the pros at the NFL divisional playoffs this week. I you know it's often dubbed the best weekend of football of the year. And last year, again, we had very close games. They weren't great throughout, but they were good, you know, close games there at the end. This week, this last weekend, we didn't have that. Uh, Eagles-Giants was an absolute blowout. Um, like one of Jason's diapers. Uh, you know, if he's jumping around and poop. Like that, that, that's how bad the Giants were. And, and how bad is it that the, the Vikings' defense made the Giants' offense look competent? Uh, if that if that says anything about the Vikings, um, defense, I don't know what it's just awful. Jalen Hurts and the Vikings were yes, yes they were, and that's why Ionitel got fired, and rightfully so, because he had he has no D. So there we go. Um, I think I saw that on Twitter. Anyway, uh, then you had the big blowout in Buffalo with Cincinnati winning. It done. It did not shock me at all. Saturday afternoon, you had Kansas City beat Jacksonville. That wasn't a surprise, but Patrick Mahomes gets injured, suffers a high ankle sprain, misses only a quarter, and comes back for the second half. He's obviously limited in his mobility. That's going to be something to watch this week. And then the best game of the weekend was definitely the last game, the the Cowboys and the 49ers. And I was, you know, sometimes they say that, you know, Points are like offense sells, chicks dig the long ball, home runs, yada, yada, yada. This game was so riveting to me because both defenses played at such a high level that you were just waiting for an offense to break through and score, like make a, make a big play and generate points. 
And it was just awesome to watch, and I'm very happy that San Francisco beat the boys. Hank, you got you were four and zero, weren't you? Uh three and one, three and one. I, I should have went with Cincinnati. I said at the time, like the Bengals. I I took the Bills. I because yeah, that was that was uh, it was the offensive by Cincinnati. It was the Bengals' offensive line that that made me sway towards Buffalo, but I also didn't anticipate it, them not being able to stop the Bengals at all in the snow. This is probably what that Monday night would have been like three weeks ago. Agreed. Agreed. It's a continuation of that. Offensive line was dominant somehow with backups. Buffalo didn't have a pass rush at all. Their their defense was terrible. Yeah, I mean, 14 nothing right away. And they didn't have to score again. And they still would have won. Burrow was 9 for 9 with two touchdowns on the first two drives. He was incredible. His first half was good. He didn't have to do much in the second half. Nope. Joe Mixon had a good game. He had 100-plus yards. Again, like I said last week, Buffalo needs more weapons. Yes. I mean, their defense was not good. They had Von Miller, and they they planned on him playing this game, but he's been out for a long time. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, and Stephon Diggs is mad, whatever. Like, they need more guys. If Gabe Davis is your number two, then that's not enough. Mm-hmm. That's Stephon Diggs. And there were a couple plays in this game where things could have got interesting. Gabe Davis kind of really dropped a pass or was a long pass, and somebody for Cincinnati knocked it away. It would have been a long game. Yes. Yep. So, there were a couple plays here and there. And, um, the DeMar Chase, Eleanor, the DeMar Chase touchdown that wasn't, that could have counted, that was a potential. That was and, that was the right call, though. I know a lot of people yeah. say that that shouldn't have counted. That was absolutely the right call because he loses control of it. And then you had uh, Josh Allen. That was, that's as close uh, to a fumble forward pass as I've ever seen. Yeah, someone. So I look at him like. Someone showed, like, uh, I think it was Josh Dobbs of the Titans against the Jaguars. Oh, we have a guest here. Uh, we'll get back to the divisional. Noah. No, I love Don't you? We have Travis on the line here. You want to say hello? Hello. What's up? Uh, you, are, are you going to retire from the sports block and Noah's going to take over? I, to stay? I, I think so. Once, once we're done with this, I think Noah will take over the podcast. Noah, what, what did you think of the... you got about 13 years left, Sackin, yeah, Probably 13. Noah, what did, you think of the, uh, what did you think of the football games this weekend? Good, but you made me lose points. Oh, I made you lose points. How did I do that? I'm playing the game. Don't let the balloon touch the bed or the floor. Oh, okay. We're playing the... Don't... don't let the balloon touch the ground. Uh, do you have any questions? Have you seen? Yeah, it's like the spotlight. Do you have any? Do you have any? Qu- do you have any questions for Travis today? No. You don't? No. no. I don't. I didn't remember her question. Oh. Oh. Actually, I do have a question. Okay. Ask okay. her. Right. Have you ever heard of a dino? Have I ever heard of a dino? Oh, a dinosaur! Yeah, have you ever heard of a dinosaur, apparently? I have heard of them. I have heard of dinosaurs, yes. Why don't you uh, t- give him some of your favorite dinosaurs? What is your favorite? The Bronchiosaurus. The Bronchiosaurus, okay. What? Stegosaurus. Okay. What, uh, what other ones besides Bronchiosaurus and Stegosaurus? Ah! No, that's not a dinosaur, that's a snake. 
It's the sound of a dinosaur. It's our life dinosaurs. Oh, they are. My favorite dinosaur is Tom Brady. What, what's your favorite dinosaur? Tom Brady. Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That's a very good one. Here. Uh, all right. No, yeah, before... dinosaurs. Have you seen? Uh, has he seen Jurassic Park? No. Well, uh, we. He, no. What's the? Uh, what's Not the? Yet. What's the Jurassic Park? Um, is it Jurassic World that you watch? That, yeah. that one with the dinosaurs in the kid? That cartoon? What one's that? Very good. What one is that called? It's called Park Ranger Ranch. Park Ranger Ranch. Okay. Have you heard of Dinosaur Train? Gets to find a park. Oh, everyone. Okay. With every dino. Okay. What was your question? I think there's a show on PBS called Dinosaur Train. Have you? Oh, we haven't watched that one. I don't think we are. You know what? what? No, don't go to your Okay. Place. What? What are you? What are we watching a lot of right now, Noah? Uh, Jurassic World. No. Park. What? What about? What? What did you just watch earlier upstairs? Scooby Doo. Yeah. Oh, Scooby Doo. There you go. Yeah. Do you like Scooby Doo? Yeah, but what I like is also balancing. All right. We are getting too wild, so Noah, uh, anything else you need to say before uh, we continue this podcast here? No. Okay, say goodbye to Travis. Bye, Travis! He has no problem projecting. Uh, That's like that. No, he does not. He is uh, very loud. He he is. I don't know where he got that from. He probably got it from me. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Noah. Um, Kindergarten next, uh, next fall? What's that? He's in kindergarten next fall. Kindergarten next fall, yes. We have kindergarten registration this week, this Thursday. Oh, So. That's the next step. Good. That is the next step, yep. Dad, let's explain why my master has a blue After I'm done with the podcast. So you got to go up by mom. You got to take the... Yeah, I'm going to stay down here. Okay, then you got to be quiet. All right. So let's 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 get back to the football here. Um... It just well, we could stay with the Buffalo game right now. I think it, it, well, that was one of the more flat performances for a home team. Oh yes. Again, we're not surprised the Bengals won. I thought they'd win. I think the Bengals are winning this week. I do and as well. I hope they win it all. I root for the Bengals. I, um, it was the utter domination by the Bengals in the trenches on the offensive and defensive line. I mean, they pushed Buffalo around. Both sides of the ball. It was remarkable. It, you know, so the Bills players are like, we just didn't have it. We didn't have the juice. We ran out of gas. And that's fair. That's quite frankly unacceptable. Because you're playing at home. It's arguably the biggest home Bills game ever, or at least in 30 years. DeMar Hamlin's in the building. Like, that alone should have provided you some juice. So, I don't know what the Bills were, what, what they were doing or saying. Like, they haven't looked good for a while. They barely beat the Dolphins somehow. Yeah, and you know, and they they peaked too early. They're just kind of limping along here. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they'll be plenty good, but I think this was it for them. This is it. Yeah, the Von Miller injury, you know, was bad, and you you brought up the stat last week about how their their pass rush is just one of the worst since Von Miller went down. And I I can't remember. I think it was you, but didn't we talk last week about how their their window may be closing here? Yes, I think yeah. so. I agree with you because if I'm looking, if I'm looking, I'm not done yet. So you gotta, you gotta wait. Yeah, I, I look at the AFC, and obviously Burrow now is firmly uh, 
planted himself in as one of the best quarterbacks in, in not only the AFC but in the game in general. Um, you also, I, I'm not going to count out Patrick Mahomes at all. Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars seem like they got a pretty good window coming up here for a while. And this was only year two for him. He's going to keep getting better and better, and they're going to dominate the AFC South. And then if the Chargers can ever figure it out, I think Justin Herbert is right there. They just need to put everything else around him. But if I'm looking at the Bills here, what, like where is it with them? Because... Uh, the, the you thought Gabe Davis was going to take that next step, and he didn't. Uh, you, you wonder about like Von Miller. You know how good is he going to come back next year? D- Diggs is thirty. Allen's a year older. It feels now like Buffalo. This was their chance. This was their year. And with these uh, the ascension of all these other young quarterbacks, the Bills now may be coming back more to the middle of the pack. Two uh, didn't have a concussion. They probably beat the, the Bills last week. Yes. Yep. Well, that's what we're talking about there. No, uh, I've said this before, but no head coach quarterback combination has ever won a Super Bowl after they've been together for five years. No. Yep. And this, this was year five of McDermott and Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. So if, they were, if they're ever to win a Super Bowl, one of them will likely be gone. And it's the same thing with Baltimore, with Lamar Jackson and uh, John Harbaugh. They've been together for five years. They've not won a Super Bowl. So. Well, yeah, uh, I, forgot, I forgot about Lamar Jackson in there, too, because we really don't know what's yeah. going on with him. And you go, you, go, uh, you go back to the 2020 draft, how different would things be if uh, the Chiefs, with the final pick in the, in the round, I think you had this one. They they selected Clyde Edwards Alaire. Yep. And then in the very next pick, pick one of the second round, the Bengals picked T. Higgins. Yes. Oh. What if the Chiefs picked T. Higgins to get him instead of uh, the running back who's not very good, and then the Bengals, uh, maybe the Bengals pick Michael Pittman Jr., who was the next pick, and, and he's been he's been good. So maybe. Uh, that helps the Chiefs more and doesn't really hurt the Bengals all that much. But that's a that was a big uh, big draft. It sure uh, was. I mean, you're exactly right. I think it, it obviously would have made the Chiefs a better offense. You wouldn't have to. I mean, you would you wouldn't have to draft Sky Moore from Western Michigan this past year to kind of replace Tyreek Hill. And yeah, Michael Pittman's good, but he's he wouldn't do as much in that offense for the Bengals as T. Higgins has done. I mean, T. Higgins is is fantastic. He is he would be a number one on half the teams in the NFL. Dare I say? And I look at the Chiefs. I mean, who are their receivers? They've got Travis Kelsey, and they've got nobody else. Like there, you you cover Travis Kelsey, you take him away, and you should win this game. Who else do they have? Well, I think like Juju Smith-Schuster Smith Schuster hasn't done anything. Uh, Marquez Scantling, Kadarius yeah. Tony. Those are your three receivers. None of those guys uh, worry me at all. Right. I, I, you know, I talk about Buffalo needing more receivers. Um, cover Travis Kelsey because you know it's going to be quick passes. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably don't. Blitz the quarterback because you're not going to get there in time anyway because Mahomes is going to throw it very quickly, get it out of his hands. 
Yep. If you get to them, you know, take a little shot, get them out of the game. Um, but yeah, what Kelsey had what fourteen catches? Yep, for ninety-eight yards and two touchdowns. I mean, they have other good tight ends there. Uh, what Noah Gray is decent. Yep. Jody Fortson is a weapon, and I think that for their wide receivers, it's because Kelsey takes so much attention. They can win these one-on-one battles. It's just essentially Andy Reid just wants them to find space. So no one there's. The problem is you can't focus on one receiver, one specific receiver. Like for the Vikings, oh, we double-teamed Jefferson. Then, you know, it forces Cousins to go elsewhere. With Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, you don't know who's going to have the hot hand at wide receiver. You know Kelsey is going to be targeted a bunch, and he's going to get his. But you don't know which wide receiver is necessarily going to go off. So they can't exactly say, okay, we're going to double-team Juju, uh this uh, you know today or uh Valdez Scantling they, they do you just don't know who is going to be getting the lion's share of the targets if there are any I mean if they, they spread it out so well there at the wide receiver position which is why I think Patrick Mahomes at the beginning of the season said sorry all you fantasy owners but I mean we don't really have that number one wide receiver everyone's going to get their touches um at some point some guys are going to have better games than others different weeks and you throw in that Jarek McKinnon has been a revelation Isaiah Pacheco or Pacheco has done very very well um I think what ultimately what what comes down to the AFC championship game is going to be the health of Mahomes's ankle and honestly a high ankle sprain that's bad there was another uh, we'll get to that other injury here in the Cowboys 49ers game that was similar to Mahomes but he's not going to have that, you know, mobility there at all. You know, the Chiefs' offensive line is great, but you know, if the Bengals only need to rush four, you really don't need to worry about Mahomes' magic and his escapability. So, I was going to pick the Bengals regardless of what happens with the with Mahomes' ankle because he's never won. It's kind of, it's one of these prove it games to me. You have to show me that you can win before I can pick you again, which is crazy to say. But right now, Mahomes is winless against Joe Burrow. Like, logic would say the Bengals win because they've beaten them three in a row with a healthy Patrick Mahomes. Yep. So why wouldn't they beat them when Mahomes is not 100%? Right. That leaves me, well, Kansas City is going to win this because sports don't make any sense. Yep. No. And I will say Jacksonville, that was probably the the most entertaining game or the game that I liked the most. Mm -hmm. Um, and by all means, Jacksonville had that game right there for them. Yep, and then Agnew fumbles it there inside with like five minutes and change to go. Um, it was there. If Mahomes yep. is hurt. Uh, Christian Kirk, he dropped like a 50-yard pass earlier in the game. Mm-hmm. It, it was right there for them. They, they had it. They had this game. Yep. And uh, you know what, though? Let's give credit to Chad Henney for what he did on that 90. Because it right where you know Mahomes is injured and Henney has to come in, and he's at his own two-yard line, and he marches the Chiefs down on a fifth on a uh, 98-yard touchdown drive. And that, I think, that was almost a backbreaker for Jacksonville. Because I don't think you expect that. You, you know, the Chiefs are up 10-7 to at the time. But okay, with Mahomes out now, like this is kind of this is 
uncharted waters, or this is, you know, very difficult storm here might be approaching with the Jaguars. You have him pinned back. And what does Henny do? Leads him 98 yards for a touchdown. I thought that was a huge, huge moment in the game and a big backbreaker. Yeah, it was the game, essentially. Yep. If they don't score there, they probably don't win. I would agree. I would agree. I don't know if Mahomes is going to play. I'm sure he will get some sort of shot in his ankle to dull the pain mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, to me, that's a performance enhancer. Without it, he would not be able to, to move as well or whatever. Uh, but people won't mention it. They, they they won't say a thing about it. And um, no, I agree. Because you know, and then we talk about steroids and this and that, mainly with baseball. But Mahomes isn't you know, the only guy and, though who's ever had a, a shot to help numb the pain or. Um, I don't know. We're just hypocritical in that if you're hurt, it's okay to take something to help you get back to 100. percent but if you're fully healthy, you're not allowed to take anything to uh, put you uh, maybe greater than you are uh, without it. So it is a performance enhancer. It's going to help them out. Uh, but no, but nobody is going to look at it that way. And everybody's going to be fine. And he'll be out there. And they'll be talking about what a, what a warrior he is and what a tough guy he is. Yep. Uh, you know, this is a big game, and he's going to be out there on one leg. Uh, doing it because he's Patrick Mahomes, uh, the greatest of all time. Well, he is the greatest of all. Well, Elmo, he's got to win a few more Super Bowls. Um, Tom Brady, uh, but I mean Brady's got that right now. But should be a wonderful game. But you know, just going back to that Bills Bengals game for a second, you know, you see Diggs on the sideline with his arms outstretched, and you know that he's yelling and he's animated and whatever and then you know reports are that he packed up his all his stuff as fast as he could and he left the room he left the locker room someone had to one of his teammates had to bring him back for the like to meet with the coaches and stuff because the coaches hadn't gotten in the locker room yet and Diggs was already out the door and someone had to bring him back it's it's that sort of thing that we saw in Minnesota like that I don't think so Maybe that generates more buzz in national headlines around the country, but I would think Vikings fans are like, "Oh yeah, there's that, uh, there's that immaturity that we saw. There, there's that the the temper tantrum from Diggs that we that we were accustomed to. We liked it because you know he was so good on the football field for so long, but you know that that's not anything that we." that we didn't know and it the Vikings are probably in a better spot right now because they have Justin Jefferson who doesn't look like he'll ever do that. Yeah, he got frustrated against Green Bay, but um I don't think we're ever going to see Jefferson go quite to the level that Diggs did. The Vikings won that trade. It's, you know, pretty even, but then when you factor in the age and Jefferson I mean it's his, it's his third year. And Diggs is peaked probably. He'll never have years like he's had. So, yeah. I mean, the pretty even trade to begin, but then the Vikings win it in the long haul. So that was an A, an a plus trade for them. Because sure. you look at now, what would, ooh, I mean, who would Buffalo rather have? They'd rather have Justin Jefferson. Yes. Imagine Buffalo with Justin Jefferson oh instead God. of oh. Devon Diggs. No. I mean, no. Just. Just crazy. Also, on that game, people don't like Tony Romo anymore. 
Yeah. I I still love Tony Rock. His people don't people don't like him. People are uh, tired of his. I don't know his noises. His I don't know what the hell they're tired of. But I'm not tired of him, and I think he's great. And it sounds like he's having fun. And he's my number one analyst at the moment. I don't see that changing anytime soon. And I, I enjoy listening to him more than more than anybody else because he still kind of does the. Watch out for this thing, and it happens, which I yep. extremely like. And he also seems to have fun. So. You know who my number one analyst is right now? You like Greg Olson? I do. He is so good at at his job. He he describes things well. He says you got to watch out. He he is outstanding at what he does. I could see because if Tom Brady is going to get the number one analyst role with Fox, I don't think anyone at Fox. Could have possibly envisioned Greg Olson being at, as good at his job as what he's doing right now. And I think that's going to give some pause maybe to immediately inserting Tom Brady as the number one analyst. I think, like, how can you possibly demote Olson right now after the year he is having? We need to see what he does in the Super Bowl, of course. But I am, I am blown away by what he's done so far, and I would say this: if he gets demoted, I think CBS should sw- uh, should take a run at him to replace Tony Romo. Cause I like I'm not to the point where everyone else is like completely sick of Romo and his shtick, but that that Jamar Chase the touchdown that ended up being ruled incomplete. He's like, oh, Jim, I don't know. That looks like a touchdown here. And I like, I looked at the same replay. I'm like, that's clearly incomplete. Like, the ball's moving. Like, oh, it looks like he's got firm control of the ball. Like, I am seeing this too. And it's worth looking at two completely different things. And then you bring Gene territory in. And I think even Gene got it wrong initially. And then he's like, no, it's 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 right. The, the, he, the ball is moving. It's not a catch. And Tony's like, ah, oh, yeah, yep, it's not. Like, it's just, it's some of that stuff where... He, he just, I think, says stuff way too fast rather than providing that analysis that's needed. And I just, again, if I'm looking at that replay of that Jamar Chase catch, I can see the ball clearly move as he's down and him losing control of it. That's an incomplete pass. Oh, I think that's a touchdown, Jim. No, no, it's not, Tony. So, I... I think I, again. I'm not to the point where I'm I'm sick and tired of him by any stretch, but I do think some of the um, charm that Romo brought to the booth in the first couple of years is starting to wear off on a lot of people. Like Tom Tom Brady doesn't need that job. What's he gonna get? Thirty million a year? Twenty seven million a year? A bunch. They like why? Why? ESPN pays, what, a million dollars or so a game for Joe Buck and Troy Aikman? Mm-hmm. And it's nice to have a good team on Monday Night Football because it's something that's been lacking. But why? Why are we paying these announcers so much? They, they don't really matter. I, I prefer, I guess, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman to Steve Levy and Brian Greasy, for Christ's sake. Yep, and that's, there you, there you go. That's But, like, I'm watching the Mannings. If I'm watching it, I'm going to watch them. 
And if they're not on, they're probably not going to watch, watch much of the game. True. And the announcers, I, I don't know. It's, you, you, you'd like your number one team to be good. Mm-hmm. But why are we paying Tom Brady $30 million here? Especially if maybe, he has, yeah. Maybe he'll be really good. Maybe he'll be really good at this. Oh, you know, wait, we'll wait and see if he ever does it. And if he does, we'll see. Maybe he's he's good at this thing. I don't know. But I'm just saying. I, I think if I were CBS out there, you don't have to pay millions of dollars to that. I'm just saying, if I'm CBS, I look very hard at Greg Olson if he gets demoted to. Unless he's unless Greg Olson's going to work with Joe Davis and, and Daryl Johnston goes down, but I think Daryl Johnston is a pretty good analyst too. I I would just if I'm Greg Olson and I I've shocked my bosses with how good I am, and maybe he hasn't shocked. Maybe they knew how good he was going to be all along, but I don't think everyone else knew that. And he is he's so much more coherent and better, he's better than Troy Aikman. Let's be real. I think the only reason why. Troy Aikman is good. I mean, he feeds off Joe Buck. They've been partners for a very long time. So they're, they're a good combination there. They're a good combo. They're a good duo, uh, duo in the broadcast booth. But Olsen is is fantastic at everything he does so far this year. And I, I see these pictures of the pregame shows in Fox. At one point, they had seven guys standing They up. sure did. Sean Payton and Rob Gronkowski joined the crew. What does Rob Gronkowski add to anything? Um, what, does, what does Sean Payton add to anything? I don't know. They don't add anything. Their names. Why do you need seven? Like, I, oh, I see the, the, uh, the Sunday night game and they make their picks at the end. There's well, there are like seven people who have to pick the game. Yep. Well, there are Mike Florio yeah. and Chris Sims and this guy and that guy. Matt Collinsworth, Matthew Bigger. pick and then and, and Jack Collinsworth. What the fuck does he think? I don't care. And I, it's, I don't know. What are we paying these people? I mean, the, the whole thing about the Bengals game was, well, the offensive line is this and they're hurt. Like any idiot could figure that out. <laughs> Saying, yeah, they lost some starting linemen and the backups they put in there probably aren't going to be as good when what happened was they were better than the starters were. Mm-hmm. And there's no sense in predicting anything because none of it makes sense. And I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's a business, a lot of wasted money. Thank you. Yep. Yep. It is. I'm, I'm always one for, you know, I like the announcing, Crew, I think CBS top to bottom has the best um, lineup of announcers and analysts. I would uh, CBS is great. Fox is lagging behind big time. Um, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson are great. Uh, were great this year. I like Joe Davis and Daryl Johnston. Uh, Kenny Albert and Jonathan Vilma. Okay, Mark Schlereth and Adam Amin. Eh, fine, but just overall top to bottom. Give me CBS. I like. Ian Eagle, Charles Davis, uh, give me Greg Gumble and Adam Archuleta, Andrew Catalan and and James Lofton. Give me the everyone else. Spiro Didis and uh, who was he with this year? I can't remember. Was maybe he was with? Uh, I don't remember. I just give me them. Just I like the the CBS crew so much more, so much more. When was the last time Chris Myers didn't call by kids lines? Uh, what a guy he has called every Vikings Lions game at least once for like the last twenty years. 
Yes, I know he didn't call the game in Detroit. That was uh, uh, Al- Kenny Albert and Jonathan Vilma. Kenny Albert. And I guess when Jim Nance goes away, Ian Eagle becomes their number one guy, I guess. Well, that's for sure for the Final Four. Um, this will be Nance's last but Final but, Four. And he's the number two for football, so you would think that he would shift there whenever that happens. Yep. For me, my guy is Jason Benetti. I oh, think I he yes. is the best. Yep. I would make I would make him. He's doing a lot of college basketball now. Yep. I would make him my number one announcer for. I guess Fox and Kevin Burkhart. This doesn't seem like a number one announcer guy. Look, Burkhart it seems like like if there was an action figure of what an announcer would be or look like. Like at a, at a at a Walmart, he he'd look like Kevin Burkhart. He's got the hair and the suit, and this is what sports announcer guy is supposed to look like. And you know he's he's fine, but doesn't do anything. For well, me. Burkhart does like a lot of the studio stuff, certainly for baseball, uh, like the po- uh, postseason baseball on Fox. Um, mm-hmm. Benetti is very versatile, and he does a lot of college football. I think he's. He's probably their number three. Uh, no, he's probably the, the number two guy because he just – this was his first year at Fox. He, he left ESPN for Fox. Uh, I would say he is either the second or third college football team, uh, like broadcast team. He's with um, Brock Heward. They, I liked the, the games that they did this year. I also really like Noah Eagle, Ian Eagle's son. Um, he's very good. You first kind of get uh, got used to him doing the Nickelodeon games, and now he's been doing a few more for Fox. So uh, give me some Noah Eagle. Uh, he did the Vikings game with Nate Burleson uh, when they played the Colts. He's very good. Um, so growing up right in his father's footsteps. So the, if I'm looking at the young protege, like the, the rising stars, give me uh, Noah Eagle. But I'm with you on Jason Benetti. He's fantastic. I mean, Fox's college football teams are better than their NFL teams. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. And uh, those Fox Fox college uh, football teams in the early stages were kind of rough. Yes. We had uh, Tom Brenneman was their guy. Yeah. Two years ago when they first... Well, they didn't really have college football, but somehow they, they had the BCS. Well, Tim Brando and Spencer Tillman jumped CBS to go to Fox. Yeah, they're there too. Ah, oh, God so, so well, yeah. yeah. Um, the other, I, walked, I, I did not. We did a bunch of stuff Saturday, so I did not know what happened on Saturday until Sunday. I knew that the Chiefs were up seventeen ten early third quarter. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything else, so I watched it Sunday morning. Uh, I watched Giants Eagles. I didn't hear anything about it, so I kind of figured that the Eagles won. But, and I watched about two drives. I'm like, that's enough. I don't need to watch this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So there was that. And then, uh, yeah, Cowboys, 49ers, if not uninteresting, just big, big, uh, big turnovers for the Dallas quarterback in a big spot. So I think this is the right comparison. Everyone's kind of dragging Dak Prescott down. Or, it, like, into the Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr territory. Like, th- these are all three average quarterbacks. I Dare I say, I think Kirk Cousins is better than Dak Prescott because he doesn't make as 
bad of mistakes. Would you would you trade would you trade one for the other straight up? Would you trade Kirk? He's a little bit older. Would you try? I, I would trade Kirk Cousins for Dak Prescott. I think I would too. Not not expecting anything different, but just to see, just to see what would happen. I think his Dak Prescott's mobility is what I would trade for. Um, I think the decision making is roughly the same. I think the uh, the passing. I would maybe give Kirk Cousins a little bit of an edge there. Um, I I would if I'm trading straight up for Dak Prescott, I do it just because of his mobility and the 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 fact that he can rush for a few more yards than Kirk can. That would be the sole part. That's the only thing that separates him from from Kirk Cousins. Except you know, look at looking at Kirk. What was the reason why the Vikings lost to the Giants? It was you know, yeah, you could say Kirk Cousins had that check down there at the end, but he played pretty good throughout the game and despite getting hit all the time, he didn't make any bad interceptions. He didn't almost get sacked in the end zone for a safety at the end of the game. He didn't take a snap from Ezekiel Elliott to end the game. Can we just uh, that play at the end? I don't know people are talking about it's the worst play of all time. No, it's not. It doesn't even come close to the Colts running that punt against the Patriots on Sunday night football with the punter under center trying to get three yards. It doesn't even come close to that. Uh, it's bad. It's a very bad play. And the fact, I think what you, the argument that you could say that makes it worse or close to it anyway is the fact that the 49ers called timeout and the Cowboys still went to the same formation. Very odd formation. It just, I don't know what they were trying to accomplish there, but San Francisco was ready for it, whatever that was. Well, like Ezekiel Elliott's going to be able to slow down, you know, Drake Greenlaw. I think that was the guy who knocked him down. I mean, I think the whole the whole point was they were going to get a pass to Turpin or someone, whoever was open, and they were going to do some pitchy, pitchy, woo-woo, you know, some hook and ladders and stuff, and you had the linemen downfield to be able to get some blocks on some of these guys and free them open. I think that's the that was the general idea of the play, and Ezekiel Elliott's not going to do anything, so let ha- let him snap it. But they either A, needed a little more time, or they needed another wide receiver or two to be back a little bit for Turpin so you could pitch it. He had nowhere to go. It was a, a very poorly executed play, but it was also the last play of the game. What are you going to do? Like Maybe if Dalton Schultz gets his foot in, uh, you don't have to go to that. You could try a Hail Mary. Like, I don't know. How, how does he not get his foot in? That just, to me, the poor clock management there at the end by the Cowboys. And everyone's kind of crucifying Mike McCarthy for that final play. But also for the, the second, you know, the penultimate drive for the Cowboys. And him deciding to punt it with like, you know, two and a half minutes to go. I thought that was the right call because... They're way too close. I mean, San Francisco could score a touchdown and effectively end it. You'd still have the two-minute warning and three timeouts. So I thought that was the right call. They were just slow in getting the punt team out. You you lost easily 15 to 20 seconds there. You have to make that decision beforehand. If it's fourth and 10, we're going to punt. You need to rush that punt unit on the, on the field. And then again, do you, 
these are late game situations that it just doesn't seem like anybody knows what's going on. It's the same thing that happened between these two teams last year in Dallas when Dak Prescott went for that run. They couldn't get the ball spotted in time and and snap and uh, they they lose the game. For as much time as they spend doing this stuff, it's like they have no idea what's going on. Yeah, it it's bad. I mean, like if, if Tony Pollard. Uh, he broke his leg, so I imagine that's a hell of a recovery. Three to four so, months is the. But I mean, he had that high ankle sprain. That was the other injury I was referencing earlier, and also a, a broken fibula. Re- expected recovery is three to four months, I believe. So Ezekiel Elliott, he's done. Tony Pollard was excellent this year. He should be their guy. Yep. Well, they want to run Dak Prescott out of town, but they weren't expected to win this game. It was close. You know, he played excellent versus Tampa Bay and didn't play so well here. They need a new kicker. That's obvious. Would you take uh, Would you take uh, Brett Maher over Greg Joseph? No. You wouldn't, okay. When, when you're a kicker and you're missing five extra points like he's done, I mean, that's, you know. That's that's unacceptable. I really wish the Vikings would trade a third round pick to the Raiders for Carlson. That's what I want. That ain't gonna happen. Oh no, it's not. But I want him. I, I they need I they need someone that they can really rely on. Get a get a guy in the not in the draft. Just look out there, see what what happened to Rodrigo Blankage. Uh, the Colts he, cut him. He missed a couple kicks. The Colts cut him. I don't think he's landed anywhere. I thought he was perfectly fine. You know, He's a guy you know I really like? So that Chase McLaughlin, who was on the Vikings practice squad, and the Colts ended up taking him, and he made a bunch of field goals against Minnesota. You know what I really like, though? Dicker the kicker. Give me Dicker. Oh, yeah, they're going to keep him because he's good. Yeah, they, now the Chargers are. That's unfortunate. But I would really – it would have been great to see him land in, in Minnesota. Uh, I mean – Somebody from, who I want to see get a shot is the San Diego State punter. Matt Ariza, who no. Buffalo had and cut him because of a sexual assault or rape case. Mm-hmm. And then it comes out that whatever happened didn't happen or he's not involved in it or like nothing happened with it. So why doesn't he get a shot? Is it Because so- he's a It's like, all right, the, the, you're accused of this. You're not guilty of anything. And he just just doesn't get a get a shot. I don't know. Is the case fully done yet? I guess I don't. I didn't know for sure if it if there was still like some civil court litigation and and stuff like that still going through. Done. Well, yeah, Drew, when is this? January seventh. Let's see. He files a response to the yes, San Diego State rape civil suit. Cites innocence. Like, yeah, he, he's innocent of all the allegations. I don't know, there's a civil lawsuit. I don't know, it's like... He's not convicted of anything. He says it didn't happen, or he wasn't... He says he didn't spend any time in the house where this happened. He says he left long before this incident occurred. So this is what really happened. Like, why doesn't he get a shot? No charges were filed. He will not face charges in connection to an alleged gang rape of a minor. 
All right, so nothing happened with this. He's been exonerated from it. If he's Does he not yeah. yes, Apparently, he just doesn't get another shot. If he's exonerated, he should be allowed to play. Because we hear these things, and like, well, he did it. He's gone. Well, sometimes they don't do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I, I like him with the Vikings, but the Vikings have a pretty, pretty good punter. I couldn't tell you what his name is. I know he's fat. Matthew Wright. I know, I know he's good. Yes, he is. Um, I just, they need to figure out the kicker. But speaking of the Vikings now, Ed Donatello is out. Um, it was the right decision. They had to. There's just no no way you could possibly go through that. But now here we go again through another um, offseason where are they going to keep the 3-4 or are they going to go to the 4-3? If Brian Flores doesn't get the Arizona Cardinal job, he needs to be the defensive coordinator. That's who I want. Um, but then I would assume he goes to a 4-3. So then what does that do for the personnel? Does that mean Eric Kendrick stays? Uh, does uh, does Adarius Smith go? Where, where do the Vikings go? I, obviously, there need to be changes on the defense. Uh, they're going to have to either restructure contracts or just flat out you know, cut guys like Kendricks and Hicks and maybe Harrison Smith, Zadarius Smith. I like Zadarius. I want, I'd like him back. I want Daniil Hunter back for sure. But depending on what defensive coordinator they get... That's going to depend on how they go about free agency in the draft, depending on what players they need. Vic Fangio, I guess, might be out there. Does he want to be, does he want to do it again? Yeah, you got a couple of intriguing guys out there that you could pick from. So let's have Lovey Smith, Coach uh, Stacking. Lovey Smith, our coach. Let's go. I'm fine with that. I'd be absolutely a-okay with that. He's very familiar with the division. Yeah, give me give me Lovey Smith. Brian Flores, Lovey Smith, or Vic Fangio? Like a lot of teams are just playing two linebackers anyway. Even on a 4-3 defense, it's like a 4-2-5. Or, or you have that like linebacker who can also play safety. You know, you have a hybrid. So you've got... So you've got your, your your defensive lines okay. You've got your defensive tackles who are fine. You can upgrade there. Your defensive ends are very good. Your linebackers are bad. Your secondary is, like Patrick Peterson's very good. Uh, Duke Shelley was very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hope Harrison Smith can come back. Um, so, like, it is fixable. Like, they don't, they don't need a lot. Like things are fixable. Stay healthy. You know, some of those corners that got hurt, can you stay healthy? So. Yep. A Caleb Evans would be great to stay healthy. Of course, Booth and Lewis seen and whatnot. So that. And I seen him scheduled for next year. It's not as tough as I thought it was. Do you know who the Vikings have to play, though? All four teams in Conference Championship Sunday, the Vikings play next year. Like, I don't think I'm going to pick him for the playoffs, but you got to go to Philadelphia again. But you also have to play the AFC, the, the NFC South. So, sweep that division. Yep. I mean, it, it is there. You know, you got the Chiefs, Chargers, Niners at home. You got to go to Cincinnati. You got to go to the Eagles. That Cincinnati game is a, a late afternoon or a Sunday night game. Like, other than that, like, this is not a tough schedule. Panthers, Falcons, Saints, Bucks, Raiders, 
You can you can beat a Tampa Bay. You can beat Denver. You can beat all, you can beat all those teams. Yep. Agreed. So. Agreed. Um, oh, yeah. also, I looked at. I always like to look at what the Thursday night game is to open the season. Yep. And like the Bengals, they might be like the Bengals against everybody. Um, like the Bengals play the Bills. The Bengals play the Chiefs. I think the Bengals maybe even play the Eagles. So, like, regardless, the Bengals might be in there, but the Thursday night game should be – that should be a big-time game because all of these teams that are alive play each other. I'm going to wait to make my Super Bowl pick – or my, my opening game pick until after the Super Bowl is set, but I do believe that the NFL will give ESPN a redo with Buffalo and Cincinnati. I think that game is destined for ESPN next year. So I don't think that would be the opener just because they need to give ESPN that bone after what happened. And if it's not that, then... Because I don't care about Ravens-Bengals, Steelers-Bengals. Nope. Or you could do Vikings-Bengals. That would be intriguing. That would be intriguing. Um, maybe maybe Rams-Bengals if the Rams are back healthy. I don't know, but if it's not the Bill, if it's not Buffalo, and I agree with that being a Monday night, if it's not that, then I feel like the Vikings are the next best candidate. Well, I think the Vikings need to – I don't think that game should be a 1 o'clock game because you have the two of the best wide receivers in the game playing – they were teammates, so their storylines there. That, I think that game has to be a late afternoon kickoff or a Sunday night game maybe even monday night i don't know um i I just don't think that's a one o'clock game and if it's the chiefs uh it's the it's the Bengals, eagles or bills they play all three man that eagles Bengals game will be something else if you you got eagles chiefs if that's super bowl new eagles chiefs week one the andy Uh, reed bowl and then you can play the Bengals again if it's san francisco uh, they should play Cincinnati in game one. Yes. Yes. I or think Dallas, Dallas is in there. I think if I... I if it's the Eagles, the Eagles play San Francisco and Buffalo. They all play each other. Would you consider Dallas at all? Probably not. Probably not with the... No, I don't, I don't want to see Dallas. Giants at all? Maybe depending on who what the Giants do. In the offseason. Maybe. Um, it's just thrown out there. I do think, though, looking at the, the, the conference championship games this week, it's San Francisco at Philadelphia, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central Time on Fox. And then Bengals uh, at Chiefs, 6.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 p.m. Central Time on CBS. I, I'm i leaning towards both road teams here. I know like the 49ers just got out of a slugfest with the Cowboys, and Brock Purdy playing on the road against a team like the Eagles in that stadium. It's going to be raucous, and Eagles fans, we know how how bad they are. But you, know, you have the number one defense against the number two defense. I, I just feel like San, I trust San Francisco a little bit more. I don't feel like everyone's now, oh, look at what the Eagles did to the Giants. Yeah, yeah. I think what the Eagles did to the Giants speaks more about what the Vikings failed to do against the Giants than it does about, oh, all the Eagles' injury concerns are done. 
you you see how hard like the the 49ers are hitting you know the these these guys you know for the Cowboys or the Seahawks or you know during the regular season if they hit Jalen Hurts just right he's not 100% yet you hit him just right and you knock him out of the game potentially or knock him out for a few series that's a potential devastating blow to the Eagles I think Christian McCaffrey, I know he's got a bit of a calf injury right now. He'll be okay. I just think the 49ers right now are are the most complete team in the NFL. And I we always wait for that other shoot the for the shoe to drop on Brock Purdy. And maybe this is the game that it happens, but I'm leaning towards picking the, the 49ers over the Eagles and until the Chiefs can beat the Bengals, until Mahomes can beat Burrow, I can't pick the Chiefs this week, especially with Mahomes injured. Give me give me both road teams to win. I'll take the Bengals and the Eagles. Okay. I'll be rooting for San Francisco, but I think that, uh, that offense is too much. Isn't it, like, I've never been a 49ers fan. I've never really oh. liked them. I always like cheered against them there's something oddly likable about this team this year i don't know if it's the way they play defense and they just got all these great like tafunga and i really like fred warner um you know i, I like christian mccaffrey george kittle's a hoot this brock purdy is is, is great and kyle shanahan is not you know like a, a douchey coach or anything like that there's just something really likable about this 49ers team and it's it just it kind of pains me because I don't like cheering for them but I, I find myself rooting for the 49ers and that's odd to me people hate NBA teams that are super teams and trade for all our guys uh, this 49ers team did the same thing but nobody hates them did they, though, or did they just really do it with one guy, and that was Christian McCaffrey? They got Trent Williams. True. They got Christian McCaffrey. They, they traded up for Trey Lance, and that didn't work out. So, you know, and they certainly uh, drafted some guys, you know, Bosa and Kittle and Debo Samuel. So they've got a little bit of it. Improved. It's not like the Rams who just ship all their their picks off to draft, you know, to get Stafford or Ramsey, uh, you know, who are some of these other Brandon Odell Cooks, Beckham. Um, Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham. Yeah. No, did they? They just signed him as a free agent, didn't they? No, they traded with them with the Cleveland. Either way, the the Rams are uh, the f them picks. The 49ers kind of did that too. To a degree, but they still have a lot of homegrown talent that, that they've drafted and developed. Um, but the Trent Williams one is a big one, and yeah, certainly with Christian McCaffrey. Um, yeah, they've got they've made the NFC title game I think six times in twelve years. Three in the last four, and they've done it with four different quarterbacks. Shut up! That's incredible. That's insane. Was it Kaepernick, Purdy, Garoppolo, and who's the other one? Jeff Garcia, maybe. I don't even know. Wow. Who? Well, I don't even know that one. So, or Alex Smith. It'd be probably Alex Smith. Yeah. yeah, three of the. They've been in the NFC Championship game three of the last four years, and the Chiefs now are in their fifth straight AFC Championship game, and they've hosted all of them. 
Once again, Patrick Mahomes does not have to travel on the road for the playoffs. They always have to play an AFC South team that's not good in the second round. They get a bye, and they have to play the Texans or the Colts. Uh, they played the Browns one year. They played Jacksonville. Played the Titans in the AFC Championship game. Yeah. Again, I'm still of the belief that prove it to me that you can win another one because mm-hmm. I don't think he will win another one. But that's going to be one of those things like, you know, obviously he's very exciting to watch. But similar to Aaron Rodgers, like he got to one and won it once. They never got back again. So Mahomes has gotten there, got back, they lost to Tampa, and they haven't gotten back since. And I don't think they're going to get back next week. I still think, though, the Chiefs are in a better position to make it back to a Super Bowl than I do Buffalo right now. Yeah. But it's still kind of like if, if they play, I kind of like Buffalo to win that. Because the Chiefs can't beat Buffalo or Cincinnati. That's a problem. Well, they can't beat Buffalo in the regular season. They can beat them in the yeah. postseason. Um, as long as they got 13 seconds left, they have a chance against Buffalo. Yep. But whatever the Super Bowl is, I, I, I will be happy with whatever it is. Yeah. It's, it should be. I, mean, I don't like the Eagles at all. The only I, reason I would cheer for the Eagles would be for Dallas Goddard. That's the only way I could possibly do it. But I, I don't want to root for the Eagles. I would be fine rooting for Cincinnati or San Francisco, and I really don't care to root for the Chiefs either. If it's Chiefs Eagles, that'd be my least favorite because. I don't really want. I prefer the Chiefs to win over the Eagles, but I think out of all the Super Bowls, uh, the potential for potential different matchups, Eagles Bengals excites me the least. I like Bengals Forty ers I like Eagles Chiefs the Andy Reid Bowl. I like Chiefs Forty ers Another rematch there. Um, Eagles Bengals would be great for the offenses, but I, I that one just doesn't excite me as much. The the storylines just aren't really there for me. I put like ten or fifteen dollars today on it being Eagles Bengals. Okay, that's that's good. Uh, my brother made a uh, parlay on the. He made a bunch of parlays for the Vikings, but he also made one on the Giants, and I told him to, to do Isaiah Hodgins catching seven passes, at least seven passes oh. for 70 yards and a touchdown. And he did, so he won. Against the Vikings? Against the Vikings, yep. Okay. Yeah, Dan, uh, just bet the over on Daniel Jones. Rushing, touchdowns, and passing yards. And he hit on all three. He had the rushing yards by like halfway through yep. the second. It is insane. Insane. Good idea. Good idea. Um, let's go to... Anything else we need to to get to here on the on the football side? Okay, so championship Sunday again. Um, get to that. Let's go to the, let's go to the baseball here in the hot stove. Um, I told you to shut it off. I shouldn't have told you that. I should. I should not have said that. Well, you know, it's okay. We kept it going here. We we kept the, it. The, the Twins just dominate January. It's the, 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 the new regime, which they're not new anymore. They've been around for like four or five years. But they love their 
January trades. You um, were you were right on this though last week, or was it two weeks ago when we talked about the Twins and saying you're never going to get a um, a better trade value for Luisa Rise right now, given that he's you know the 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 reigning AL batting champ. And sure enough, what do the Twins do? They trade him to the Marlins. They get a pitcher and a couple other players here. Let me get the the full scope of this trade here. A couple of prospects that are years away from doing it. Uh, uh, that are what? A year away? Years. It's it's a long time. Okay. It'll be three, three, four years. One, one of them. One of them. I think is going to be like maybe the number three prospect for the Twins. So. I, I think the Twins did great with this trade. I would agree. Let me get the. Let me just pull this up here because who they they get a starting pitcher. They needed pitching, and that's what you get here with. Um, Pablo Lopez. With Pablo, so just tell me what what again? I think a lot of people are like, why are the Twins getting rid of the the batting champion and whatnot? But this, right. to, as you said last week or a week before. The trade value for a rise is never going to be higher, so get what you can now uh, for him. And, and Pablo Lopez seems to be a pretty decent pitcher if he can stay healthy. Yeah, they got two other prospects too, so you wait and see how those guys do. Um, yeah, solid, solid pitcher for Twins. Need need quality. They've got enough depth. Uh, his, his career ERA or last uh, last year he was a three point seven five. That's decent. Made a little bit better than that. Year before was a three point oh seven. Um, in twenty starts, uh, he pitched one hundred and eighty innings last year, which is the most he's ever pitched. So if he can stay healthy, you got him. You got Sonny Gray. Those are your top two guys. So Joe Ryan, they're not number one, Joe Ryan not number one starters, but they're. They're decent number twos. Joe Ryan, where does he fit in this? He's probably your number like five starter now. Or number four, number four or five guy, so that's that's good. What what was that um Maley or that Mally guy from Cincinnati? Yeah, he's probably number three. And where do you Sonny Gray, Sonny Gray would be one, uh Pablo Lopez is two, uh Tyler Molly would be three, uh Joe Ryan would be four, and the uh, number five spot is is up for grabs. So, Who who's the yeah. guy who had Tommy John surgery again? Uh, Kenton Maeda. Yeah. So you know you've got him in the mix, and you got all these other guys who pitched last year in the mix. I would be in favor because they have so many pitchers uh, of doing a six man rotation. You you the, these guys get hurt quite often. Mm-hmm. You 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 limit them. They don't like to you know they. Plugging holes for years. You had Chris Archer and Dylan Bundy last year who were there in a five, less than five innings of start. We need to do better than that. So they could definitely do a six-man rotation. They've got plenty of pitchers to do that, and they're not going to. But like at the end of the season, you're going to need 10 to 12 guys to start games for you because guys are going to get hurt and guys are going to go up and down. So... Yeah, this this was a good trade. Sonny Gray last year was a good trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyler Molly, if he can stay healthy, I think he'll be good. And Pablo Lopez, I think he will be uh, be good as well. So they've got 
They've got three above-average guys. Well, I know. Right? I know. Arise had eighty-eight scored eighty-eight runs last year, and he got on base a lot. He, the, I know. Like, is eighty-eight runs a lot for a guy who's the leading AL, like the the the, the leader in batting average? I feel like he should have scored more runs. So if the Twins couldn't really generate a lot of offense and get him to score more. It, I don't feel like this is a huge loss for them. Yes, it's great to have a guy on base, but if you can't get him to score more at home, then what? get someone else for him. You know what I mean? I would imagine like this year will be the last year will probably be the best year he'll ever have. Um, I'm sure he'll go to Miami. I'm sure he'll do great. I'm sure he'll hit over 300. Um, he doesn't provide much power. Uh, he had... A career-high eight home runs last year. He had two the year before. Uh, excellent, excellent hitter. Excellent contact hitter. Uh, doesn't walk a ton, but he also doesn't strike out either. Mm-hmm. So that's very rare. Uh, really good hitter. Really, really good hitter. Contact hitter. Um, he was kind of the odd man out. He was second base. And then moved him to first base. And he's not your typical, what you think of a first baseman. He's, you know, he's 5'10", 5'9", 175 pounds. First baseman are usually big guys. It doesn't really matter to me, but he was the odd man out because you got Correa at short. Uh, you've got Jose Miranda at third. Um, I guess Alex Kirilov will play first. Great prospect, but he's had wrist injuries, so if that continues, that sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's had two wrist surgeries already. I think he'll be your first baseman. you got Rory Polanco at second. Uh, you've got Royce Lewis. And I would imagine Royce Lewis will be, he's a shortstop. He got hurt in center field towards ACL. But I would imagine he will be at third base next year. Uh, Jose Miranda will move from third to first, I would think. And then you've got uh, Brooks Lee, your, your top pick from this summer. He'll probably be up and you could put him, I don't know, at second base or the outfield. So, You've got guys coming in. It's a very crowded, crowded infield. Very crowded infield. Sad to see him go, but uh, this team cannot, for the life of it, develop any quality pitching at all. That's why. But but, but hitting, they, they can they can develop hitting no problem. So take the thing you develop, which is hitting, and get the thing that you don't have, which is the pitching. And they have now acquired Michael Taylor from the Kansas City Royals, an outfielder, a defensive. Uh, center fielder, uh, former Gold Glove winner, um, just made that trade Monday night. What do you think? I, I don't know what they are giving up, but what do you make of that trade? They gave up a couple of relievers who maybe could have helped them this year. They had the Rule Five draft. It's like the you can protect guys in your minor leagues. They, if you're a minor leaguer and you're not up within like five years or whatever the time limit is. Then there's a big draft, and, and, and other teams can pick you. And the Twins did not protect the two relievers they gave up, and nobody picked them. So, well, there's that. They're, they're, they're not highly regarded prospects, but they were interesting. They, they, they couldn't throw strikes. If they could throw strikes, they'd be really good, but that's a problem. So, you give those two guys away to Kansas City. Uh, Michael Taylor, Michael A. Taylor. Uh, I'm not going to call him. I'm going to call him Michael Taylor. Uh, excellent defensive outfielder, as you mentioned, Gold Glove winner. Uh, not much of a hitter. If he could hit 250, that'd be great. 
if he could hit 10 home runs, I'd sign up for that right now. Uh, so for when Buxton misses 60 games come <laughs> June, uh, you know, if you could put both of those guys in the outfield at the same time, like in, in some aspects, Michael Taylor is the best defensive outfielder in baseball, and we know what Buxton can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this, I mean, I hate to be too excited about this team because even if they have a great year, you know they're not beating Houston or the Yankees. They're not going to beat anybody. But I like what they've done. Well, that I was just going to ask you, you know, with these recent moves that they've made, including the signing of Carlos Correa, does this excite you more and make you think that they have a chance to win the AFC or the AFC, the AL Central, or make it to the playoffs? I think so. With that six wild card spot, I'll, I'll probably pick them for the division. Which probably two months ago I would have said no on that, but. I just like what they've done. They added Joey Gallo, who you know, was known for his home runs and, and 200 batting average and 200 strikeouts. <laughs> uh, but he's also he is also a, a an above average defensive outfielder. Mm-hmm. So your pitching should get better if your defense is this good. You keep Carlos Correa; he's excellent. If they can trade Max Kepler, I would give this an A for the offseason. I don't want Max Kepler anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't need him anymore. He's been with us a while. He hasn't gotten any better. Um, I would trade him for something. I don't know. A a piece in the bullpen. I would... um, I don't know where he's going to go. If he's going to go to the Yankees or the Dodgers. Maybe one of those two teams. They haven't done anything to address the bullpen, which sucks. That's the weak point of the team. But if your starters are better and can maybe give you six innings instead of five, and your defense is better and your offense is better, maybe that overall helps the bullpen. Because this, this, they just do not invest in the bullpen whatsoever. And they have enough guys to where whoever these starters don't be, they can be bullpen guys. What were the guys that got last year? Jorge Lopez from Baltimore? Uh, who else yeah, like he, he was an awful starter, and then they put him in the bullpen, and he was excellent. And they traded for him, and he wasn't nearly as good. Right. And Emilio Pagan, who I hate like, more than any person in this world, <laughs> other than Trump and a few other guys. Non-political people. I hate, I hate the player, Emilio Pagan more than any other uh, player at the moment. Well, you got Duran, too, right? I mean, you don't, I know you don't like... You, I know you like him. But you, uh, yeah, he is, he is the best. The goddamn best is what he is. So, you know, the, bull, the bullpen, it's, it's a wait and see on the bullpen. I like everything else, though. Before we get to college basketball here, I do want to mention how much of a dick Shannon Sharp is for... Ah! For what he did Friday night at the Lakers-Grizzlies game, for those that may not have known, um, he he's a big LeBron backer, but that's not a surprise because Skip Bayless, who he does and a show called Undisputed on FS1, it doesn't get very many viewers. Reruns of Rosolian Isles gets more viewers than... What, 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 does, what does that even mean, Undisputed? Uh, 
I'm the I'm the champ. Like you can't you. There's no argument against it. I don't know why you would call your show undisputed because it. Yeah, it's done. Uh, it's done. But he's at this Lakers game, and John Morant. It, something happens with the Grizzlies. It's Stephen Adams and stuff. It just gets way out of hand. And Shannon Sharp, you know, is barking like, "Oh, you you can't you can't handle the smoke or something like that." Like, shut the hell up. Uh, he's wearing this ridiculous looking, uh, I mean, it's a very nice North Carolina Tar Heel like colored carnigan sweater of some sort. It just looks ridiculous on him. Um, he has to be escorted away for the locker to the, to some place, you know, courtside away from, from the action. He comes back and I guess he has apologized since, you know, he, he was seen hugging John Morant's dad and whatnot, but they got into a bit of a shoving match or shouting match. Like Shannon Sharp, just shut up. Like if you're if you make me want like to rate Skip Bayless higher than you, this is the way to do it. Please don't do that. I don't want to, but you look like a complete buffoon doing this. Well, what do I always say, Stacker? Say a lot of stuff. Um, this is professional. Wrestling. wrestling. Yeah, yes. Yep. This, I don't believe this was real at all. Well, this that is like the, the, the persona, or I think that's even what the report on ESPN.com said is Shannon Sharp's persona. He went to the game wanting this to happen. Yes. And he got it. So if you or me do this, do we get to stay at the game for the second half? No, we do not. Oh, we don't? So why does he get to? Because uh, he question. was a football player? Because he's on TV? Probably. If I cause a disruption during the game and get in an argument with an entire team, are they going to take you and me to the back and say, oh, I'm sorry. Cool, cool uh, off I'm going to go back to my seat now. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, are they going to ban you from the arena for life like they have for yes. several fans? How many times have we seen Draymond Green or LeBron James point somebody out and say, this person said something I didn't like. Kick him out. Until mm-hmm. so they say, "Okay, uh, policeman, take this guy and kick him out of the game." Yep. And we don't know what was said. Nothing happens. We we hardly notice it. Um, ridiculous. I don't give a goddamn what Skip Bayless thinks about anything. I don't give a goddamn what Shannon Sharp thinks about fucking anything. Like I, I, who, who can give a shit? I've, I've heard more about them lately than I than I want to. You know, it's working. Whatever they're doing is working. Yep. It's, it's, uh, Maybe that's why they're doing it, to try and generate yes, more yes. ratings on the show, because the show is abysmal. Yes. What can I do to give, create a reaction? And having said that, I, I have yet to turn it on, because uh, why would no. I? So. I've literally never watched the show. One show that I always see on my TV guy that I never watch is whatever the hell Max Kellerman does. Oh, um, this, this just, just in. in. This just in, yep. I always say, I assume it's a replay sometime in the afternoon or in the evening, like on freaking ESPN News or something. Yes, yes it is. And it's like, I, I never I never watch this. Um, final thing okay. I guess we have to talk about here, college basketball. Um, wow. Uh, TCU laying the wood down on Kansas in the fog on Saturday. Then you have number one Houston losing. 
Number, uh, you know, Purdue's now the new number one, but they squeaked by Michigan State and Maryland, and sandwiched in between those games was a route at Minnesota, in which Minnesota scored 12 points in the first half. Not in the first five minutes of the first half, the entire first half. Um, I don't trust Purdue, but they, they do keep winning these games, and college basketball is so wide open this year, but... Like what TC and I have I have my team crims I have the team that I I'm hoping is a, somewhat of a sleeper for the tournament that makes a long run but I'm all in now on Marquette. Um, I think you mentioned that who, last who week. Who is your team? Who is your team? Well, my team. Well, I I've always been high on Creighton, uh, but Marquette Marquette is the team that I'm gonna. Say he makes a deep run in the tournament this year. Well, we're up to 16 now. People are taking notice. Uh, Shaka Smart, who I used to hate, who now I uh, don't hate anymore because... We, it was a love-hate-love relationship. I never liked him because, oh, Texas. Like, Texas never does anything good. You didn't love him at VCU? That. I did. I know I did. TCU, good for TCU. No, uh, VCU. At, at VCU. Kansas State. Kansas State men's basketball is yeah. They beat uh, they beat Kansas, so Kansas, uh, Kansas is going to lose three in a row. They're going to lose to Baylor tonight. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, Kansas, uh, they were number two, and, and I think uh, Purdue is going to lose to Michigan. When do they play? Sometime this week at Michigan. That's got a loss written all over it. Because the number one team can't help but lose. Uh, I like Alabama. I think Alabama is going to be number one here. Were they number one? Have they been number one yet? I don't think so. I don't think so. Not yet. I think uh, Alabama. I haven't revised my final four in a while, but I, I like I like Alabama. There's if a... I had to pick a team to win it all, I might pick them. I think that's... like Purdue. I don't give a shit if Purdue runs the table. Uh, you know, you you just can't. You, they're they're nineteen and one. And you just feel like they're going to lose to an eight seed mm-hmm. on a Saturday afternoon. So, you know, and then Houston just doesn't play the competition. They got some injuries. And it's going to be an old Kansas State. If they're a two or a three seed, are you going to take Kansas State to the Elite Eight? No. You know, we got, uh, you got our, our teams, Arizona and Virginia, who never disappoint. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what. What happens? Who's seated where? You would think Houston. Houston will be a one seed. Uh, Purdue will be a one seed. Alabama. You got Alabama, Tennessee, SEC might get two number one seeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arizona's going to be in that mix. So this uh, this will be a, this will be an exciting tournament. So, like you'll have Charleston. Yes. Uh, I don't imagine Charleston's going to lose more than one game the rest of the year. Well, Florida Atlantic. Who the hell? Who are they? Who are they going to lose to? Um, where Where does Charleston? Are they Are they Are they a four seed? Well, here's the thing, which and we'll get into this more as we, you know, because we still have a month and change to go here in the regular season. But as we get towards the end of February, and as March approaches here, Charleston and Florida Atlantic, if they keep this pace up and maybe only lose one game each between now and then, they're looking at. We'll be in the top ten. They're be in the top ten because everybody's losing. Agreed. This is the most losses by ranked teams against unranked teams in the AP era in a season to this point. 
Um, but I, I do what what I was talking about with Charleston and Florida Atlantic. Those two become bid stealers should they lose their respective conference tournaments, and that means teams like a West. Like I'm looking at the, the Big Twelve right now. There are six teams that are ranked in the top 17 in the country. Six teams in the Big 12 ranked in the top 17. And then Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, West Virginia are all bottom feeders, but they all have good losses because it's to the top team. So they're still on the bubble. And it's just, it's really interesting, but I think... you. As we get closer, a team like Charleston and Florida Atlantic, if should they lose their respective conference tournaments, they're going to be bid stealers because they're going to be in the tournament regardless, yeah. provided they keep winning. I feel like if, if this was the Big Ten or the ACC, people would be losing their minds. But because it's the Big 12, it's like, eh, whatever. Like, what, five teams in the top 15 or whatever you said? Yeah, six in the top 17 and five in the top 12, I think. This not getting talked about at all. It's like, oh, yeah, look at all these teams. Like, the Big Ten, the ACC doesn't have that Christ. The ACC has three ranked teams. It's Virginia, Miami, and Clemson. 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 Clemson's 8-1, leading the ACC. And, they, and this kind of sets up well for North Carolina because they, they've steadied things a bit. And, like, again, there's no reason they can't make another run. You know? Right. They, they, they played well and they played bad. So, you know, you look at North Carolina, I like Marquette. You look at Xavier. Yes. Um, well, look at the Big East. I mean, if you're... You've gone, what frauds? Yes. Frauds, Zach, and lock them up. Lock up these frauds, Christ. I really, I, you know what? This is a, a year where I I am all, not all in on Providence, but I do expect Providence to win at least one game. Creighton is, is kind of hovering. You know, you look at the Big East right now, kind of like the SEC. There are three really good teams in the Big East. Uh, just like the SEC, the SEC has better teams overall. Uh, so I'm not... I'm just looking at the teams. I see Xavier, Marquette, Providence. Well, in the SEC, it's Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee. And then you have some of these, you know, like fringe bubble teams like Creighton and Seton Hall. I guess, I mean, UConn should be considered that, I think, right now. If they lose a few more games here, they should be considered a bubble team. And then on the SEC side, you have Kentucky. And I guess Florida is kind of hovering around there. But... The SEC, for as good as they are at the top, wow, things have fallen. Like, Mississippi State has just completely fallen off a cliff. Texas A&M, yeah, we'll see what they can do. They're approaching it. Missouri, they're falling back a bit. Arkansas, expected to be really good. They're 2-5 and five in conference. You're seeing so many 13-6, and 12-7 uh, teams that still have life in a normal year, I would think that would almost be a death blow at this stage. Like, you almost have to win out to be considered for the tournament. I'm looking at even, like, Michigan State. I don't think Sparty's a, a lock to make the tournament this year. They're 12-7 and seven right now. Big Ten has one ranked team. Indiana, if they could, if they can start figuring their life out a little bit, I kind of like Indiana. Rutgers is... Is good, but yeah, and Northwestern. I ain't gonna. 
I ain't going to worry about Northwestern at all. And again, if I'm looking at Michigan State here, like... What about Wisconsin? Oh, they, they, lost just, the North, they, they lost the Northwestern team. Right. So, you tell me, I mean, okay, so Michigan State's got a, a, a ranked win over, or a win over ranked Kentucky. Okay, that's doesn't look they quite as... Beat, they beat Illinois? Uh, let's see. Illinois is another team. Again, uh, the Big Ten has number one Purdue, and they don't have any other... Has any major conference ever had that, where they've had one ranked team, they have the number one team, and nobody else is in the top 25. I this isn't know. the AAC, for Christ's sake. Yeah, and, and, and no, Michigan State lost to Illinois. But they did beat... They did beat Wisconsin, and they have beat Michigan. I, but, I mean, Michigan's kind of a bubble team, too. They, the Big Ten is average this year. What about Iowa? What about Iowa? I, sure, if you, I mean, Iowa right now, again, 12, and, this is one, of, again, a 12-7 and 7 team, and they're still hovering in there. They lost to Ohio State. Ohio State's on the bubble, but they beat Maryland. Maryland's a bubble team. They beat Michigan. Michigan's a bubble team. They beat Rutgers. Rutgers seems safely in. They've beaten Indiana. They're playing some really good ball right now. Uh, Iowa did, is. Didn't the Gophers beat Ohio State, or did they come close? Yes, yes, they did. They beat Ohio State on the road. That's <laughs> that's their lone win in conference right now is to Ohio State. I just don't, I don't know how this is. Again, we have over a month to go in this, but I I can't remember a year where there are so many teams that are just averaging conference right now. And you know, again, I'll just say it: thirteen and six, thirteen and seven in normal years. That's not going to be good enough to make it to the NCAA tournament. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it, it it would be normally. This year, it is, and that's because college basketball, it, it, uh, there are a lot of good teams. There aren't a lot of great teams. I don't know why either. Like Duke, <coughs> Duke like we mentioned, Duke was a three-point underdog, and uh, it just so happens they lost by three. Funny how that works. Um at Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech was, were they one and seven? It said. Yeah. Yep. They had lost seven straight games. And I think they're gonna. They should. They should win a few more here. But they've beaten Duke like five or six at Virginia Tech. Yeah. And there are like, what? Duke's gonna lose. Duke's gonna lose at least ten games. Mm-hmm. And Kentucky. Kentucky's not any good. So. And yet they somehow went to. Knoxville and beat the number yeah. four ranked balls like that's a that's a win that unfortunately can put Kentucky in the NCAA tournament and that really Tennessee that's an that's I'm sorry that's an inexplicable loss this year for them. What sense does that make to Tennessee that uh, Kentucky can't beat anybody? But they can beat ten. They can beat Tennessee. That doesn't make any sense at all. No. So I'm uh, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about, we got Texas at Tennessee on Saturday. We got Kansas at Kentucky. Um, like Kansas, Kansas, you got to win that game. You cannot lose four in a No, you, yeah, absolutely you can't. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, just... it's exciting to see some different teams. And, um, you know, ACC with three ranked teams, Clemson leading the pack, and the Big Ten is a mess. I just don't know how you can differentiate between all these teams and justify making them a bubble team or not. I don't. That's the that's the frustrating part. It's like, why is this one team got more of a chance at the bubble than than this other team? Like, 
you just it could lead to a lot of upsets because really what's the difference going to be between a, a five seed and some of these uh, 10, 11, 12 seeds? Remember when Oregon went on a hot streak a few yeah. years back and beat, uh, they won the Pac-12 tournament, they were a 12 seed, and I picked I picked yeah. them over Wisconsin as a five. I'm like, no, I don't trust Wisconsin here. Oregon's playing too well. They got a good offense, and they crushed Wisconsin. Um. That's what you, yeah. yeah. That to your point, that's what we could see. So maybe you. I think the rule we need to remember is if a team goes on a hot streak to win the conference tournament or something, then do not pick them because for whatever reason they don't seem to. They're they're the hot team, and everybody thinks they're going to continue to roll, but I don't know if they're tired or what it is, but they usually don't do anything. So, like, we, we have to be careful about picking a team that seems hot to to continue to be hot. True. Yeah, like, uh, what, Virginia Tech last year? They made... Yeah, oh, Virginia Tech, they, they win the, uh, the thing, and then they didn't, they, they lost right away. Yep. It's uh, always a, a fun tournament, and should be uh, should be even more fun this year because... There's not that dominant team, so that's good. Exactly, exactly. Anything else we need to get to before we say so long? Well, it should be good. There's a lot of stuff, baseball stuff. Mm-hmm. John Stiglmeyer stuff, so. Indeed. Yeah, good, good for him. And uh, Matt Zimri, I'll talk to him next. And he had his first, first column for his new employer. So that's exciting for multiple employers, Sioux Falls Live uh, and the and Forum Communications. So that's exciting for uh, for Marcus and then the uh, the Mitchell people and then uh, the Forum people. So for sure, yeah. I'll see. Uh, as far as the Argus Leader was concerned, that's speaking of the end of an era for SDSU. You know, AJ's still there. Um, yeah, the Argus Leader shut it down. Shut it down. You know, it's. Zimmer was the last one there. Shut the lights out when you're done. Turn out the like, lights. Party's it's, over. It's just, oh, somebody was saying like St. Cloud's got one sports guy. What? Oh. And then for the paper? Could be. Could be. Like their sports department at the St. Cloud paper, whatever that is, it's Saint, one guy. St. Cloud. Like how do an area as large as St. Cloud, you've got one guy covering that? It's not good. It's not good. Support local journalism, yeah. folks. Support it. Yeah, and the uh, Argus leader, Matt Zimmer, was the only one there. He's the most... I mean, more people read his stuff than anybody else in the state because he was with the biggest paper, and he's really good. He covers the most popular thing. And he covers the thing that has the most interest with that being South Dakota State. Yep. So now he goes somewhere else, and... People seek him out and continue to read him. So, indeed, follow the money and follow the good people, and that's what Matt Zimmer is uh, very good at what he does. Uh, so, well, yeah, we'll talk to him next. But you have a great rest of your week, my friend. Enjoy Championship Sunday. And uh, did you did you have a good birthday last week? Did you do anything else uh, other than doing the podcast birthday. with me? Uh, Wednesday, uh, get my day off of work, played pickleball, which was good, always. Uh, Melissa got me my sports jacket. Nice. 
kind of a, a lighter blue with a couple of nice shirts, so that was good. Um, yeah. So, hoping, hoping by the time we talk next week, Max Kepler is traded. That would be a great late birthday party. All right. I'll see what I can do about that. <laughs> I'll call him up. All right. Very good. Thanks as always, my friend. We'll talk to you later. Have a good rest of your week. All right. I'll see you. Travis Grins joining me here. Sports Block Podcast. Great stuff as always. A lot of fun there. A lot of talk about John Stiglmeyer, NFL Divisional Round. Noah came and joined us for a little bit. He's hyper as per usual, but that's that's fine. We always enjoy him jumping on the podcast a lot. The, the, the Twins making moves and college basketball. Plenty to get to it. We're going to keep talking about SDSU. John Stiglmeyer retiring. Jimmy Rogers stepping in as the head football coach. Matt Zimmer from the Argus Leader will join us next to discuss that, and we'll wrap up with a look back at divisional round and make some picks for conference championship Sunday in the NFL. That's all coming up here next on the Sports Block Podcast. Available on podcast.com. Find us on iTunes. Just search the Sports Block, Sports Block Podcast. Also on uh, podcast.com. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Andy Stacken, Facebook Nathan Stacken, Travis Krenz on Twitter at Travis Krenz. A link to the podcast posted middle to later part of each week. John Stiglmeyer retiring as head football coach at, at South Dakota State. Jimmy Rogers steps in. What do we expect from that? We'll talk about that more in depth with Matt Zimmer, formerly of the Argus Leader. Uh, in the, when we recorded this last week, he was a free agent still for a few days. So we'll talk about that with him next. Come and uh, what he thought of the national championship as well uh, with the Jackrabbits beating the Bison in Frisco. That's all coming up next here on Sports Block Podcast, podcast available on podcast.com and on iTunes. All right, we continue here on the Sports Block Podcast, and what a, what a week, what a time. It's great timing that we have... Matt Zimmer, formerly of the Argus Leader. We have a whole lot to get to here with Matt because we're going to find out about his new ventures here shortly. We were going to talk about the national championship, but that's going to the side right now. Matt, first off, how, how are you? How you been? How was Frisco? Uh, I'm good. I'm a little wiped. It's been a busy couple of weeks, months, and even last couple of days. But uh, obviously it was a lot of fun going to Frisco and getting to uh, document some history and, and uh, even just – you know, um, going this morning, going up to Brookings for uh, Stig's sort of little farewell and the welcome to Jimmy. So uh, <laughs> it just kind of goes from one thing into the other. Yeah, it sure does. So let, let's talk about that because I don't know. Like, this obviously seems, this seems as though it was something that had been in the works for a little while. I don't know, was this post-Frisco? Like, just the seamless transition to name uh jimmy rogers the head coach with uh john stiglmeyer announcing he was going to retire was it the talk uh, talks with his wife Lori? what kind of led to this and it, it just seems like the su- succession plan was laid out pretty pretty well organized uh yeah uh stig more or less said today that this was kind of put in motion about three years ago um that he kind of realized okay you know my time is coming to an end fairly soon and he wanted to make sure that the, the succession plan was in place and he said he gave Justin Sell essentially a list of you know the internal candidates that that he favored uh, I assume Jimmy was first on that list I'm guessing probably Jason Eck was second on that list but he's not here anymore obviously as the mm-hmm. head coach of Idaho now um, and I don't think that meant necessarily that because John had, had provided that list and sort of 
put those wheels in motion that he was necessarily looking to retire. I mean, I've, you know, got to know John pretty well over the years. I spend a lot of time around him and, and I ask him that question fairly regularly. And he has always been pretty consistent that, well, when Lori says it's time to come home, I'm going to come home. <laughs> and he, he did say today uh, that, that, that Lori had had that conversation with him, that she said, okay, we've got the national championship. Jimmy's ready to go. Now it's time. Okay. Uh, having said that, I don't think it's quite that simple. Um, there were a lot of rumors going on in December and into early January that other programs wanted to talk to Jimmy Rogers, specifically FBS programs, where he could make an awful lot of money. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Jimmy wanted to do that. I think Jimmy wanted to stay at SDSU, uh, but that would basically have required John to retire because you know Jimmy's not going to stay as the D coordinator at SDSU and make $90,000 a year when he could go make a half a million somewhere else. Exactly. So I think a lot of things came together. Uh, and then obviously you win the national championship. If you're John, it's like, Hey, you know, whether he truly wanted to step down now or not, it just was the right time. Yep. He had won his national championship. He no longer had that hanging over his head. It was a great team coming back. And this is the time to hand it off to Jimmy Rogers because he will stay there. You know, I'm sure he still had opportunities to go be an assistant at the FBS level, but to, to have the opportunity to be the head coach at his alma mater, a program that, I mean, everyone can see how much it means to Jimmy. Yep. He hasn't been able to open his mouth without breaking into tears the last couple of days, yep. uh, just talking about what this program means to him. So mm -hmm. it was a little bit of a, it wasn't something that came out of nowhere. And Stig made very clear it wasn't as simple as, oh, I won the national championship, now I'm retiring. It was a lot of factors coming together at the same time. And John, I think, realizing that this was the best thing for the future of the program. Well, I just, yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. Just wonder like if there was any sense of like, Hey, I want to try and do one more. Like, can we go back to back? You know, cause it's mm -hmm. the whole kind of hashtag here or like run it back. Jax is kind of going on because most of the team is coming back next year. Was there any sense of like, okay, I want to try this one more year. And then Jimmy, you take over after that. Or was it the, the potential lure of the FBS and, you know, obviously Lori, uh, that said, okay, we just need to do this now. Was there any thought about trying it one more year to do back-to-back? -back? I'm sure there was. I mean, he's got 199 wins. You know, it would have been nice to get to 200. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, yeah, they had a great team coming back. John has said over the, year, over the years many times how easy th they've made the job for him because of the staff he's assembled and sort of the culture he's created. I certainly don't feel like John was like, oh, God, I won a national championship. Now I can finally retire. You know, I, I don't think he looked at it like that at all. Um, and, he, and maybe he was intrigued, excited about the idea of coming back for another year. Uh, but like I said, I, I think they kind of felt like, hey, if Jimmy's going to be our next coach, we got to do it now. And I think John responded to that in the appropriate way. And we had a long conversation with John today at the press conference after it was over. Uh, and he was very emotional and he was very candid. Um, and, he, you know, I still think there's a, maybe a, maybe a, a small sense in him that I wish I could keep going. Um, but I, I, he was very, very sincere in saying how proud he is and how happy he is to turn this over to Jimmy Rogers. If he had to do it a year or two earlier than maybe he really wanted to, I think that's a small consolation. He's, he's ready to step aside and, and let Jimmy take over. And there's very few people who are as great, you know, like 
coaches, you know, as Coach John Sigelmeyer is, but as you know, true human beings and people. Uh, Coach Sig is certainly one of the best, and we wish him well here. And so now this transition begins. I mean, it, you know, for Jimmy to be the head coach, the continuity is, is there, but the Jacks have lost several assistants. Is there any concern out there that, you know, that they're going to maybe have some recruits that reopen their commitment or was that the main focus obviously because you're going to keep uh you know the new head coach was in-house before he was on the staff is there any sort of thought that or any concerns i guess with the program moving forward with all of that now that coach john stigelmeyer is retired i don't think so i mean i i certainly don't think you know there's any players that are like oh well if, if Jimmy's going to be the coach and not stick, I'm out of here. I mean, I think if anything, because of how young Jimmy is, a lot of the players probably gravitated more to him than they did Stig. Um, you know, no one's really entered the portal yet, and they've had plenty of opportunities to do that. I still wouldn't be surprised if someone decided to move. I mean, they all have a ring now. So, you know, any player who's maybe in a Tucker Craft situation where they have an opportunity to go to a higher level or make some NIL money, you know, Maybe they'll do that at this point. Although I think it is a little surprising we haven't seen any of that yet because what NDSU has already lost, what, a dozen kids to the portal yeah. or something. So it's obviously impacting other programs. Um, I think you hit on the, the bigger question is what happens to the staff. Uh, Christian Smith, the defensive line coach, is going to Northwestern. Andre Crenshaw, the running backs coach, is going to Western Kentucky. Josh Davis, the wide receivers coach, was just hired by USD as their offensive coordinator. Um, I've heard there could be other changes in the works. And, you know, is Jimmy going to continue coaching linebackers, have a position coach? Mm -hmm. Or is he going to be like Stig and and not coach position and just be sort of the CEO? I kind of would be surprised if he did it that way, but we'll see. I mean, Jimmy's a you know, a Stig disciple, and he's learned a lot about how to run a program, specifically this program under John, but he's also a much different personality. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see, like I just said earlier, John has said all the time, well, you know, I don't do anything. And he's, you know, joking when he says that, um, but he does, He when he makes that joke, he's referring to how hands-off he's allowed to be because he's older and experienced and has a, a staff that he trusts to do things. He can kind of put them in place, sit back and let them work. Uh, I don't know if Jimmy wants to do that, and I don't know if that's the best way for Jimmy to do that, just given how different the situation is. Mm-hmm. How involved is he going to be in the defense? He announced this morning that Jesse Bobbitt, the safeties coach, is going to be his D coordinator. But, you know, how much is Jimmy still going to be involved in that defensive game plan? Sure. Uh, is he just going to tell Zach Lujan, hey, the offense is yours, go do it? Or is Jimmy going to, you know, want to be heavily involved in what goes on on the offensive side of the ball? Uh, Who is he going to go out and hire to replace Josh Davis and Christian Smith and those other guys that left? Uh, there's a lot of question marks there. And, you know, for as, as much as we all understand that Jimmy's an ace when it comes to X's and O's, that he's a good recruiter, um, that I think he's a good leader. What a what tremendous job he's done as a D coordinator. He's never been a head coach before. Mm-hmm. You know, He's going to have to learn some things. How's he going to handle uh, just the, the day-to-day stuff that comes with being a head coach, talking to the media, dealing with the athletic director, you know, boosters, being the public face of the program. Those are all things that Stig was so good at, and that's what made it so easy for him mm-hmm. to tell his coordinators and coaches, you guys worry about the players and the game plan. I'll take care of everything else. Is Jimmy going to be able to do that? I guess we're going to find out. 
Uh, but either way, I think having the roster they do coming back probably sets them up to, in a pretty good position to, to be successful early on. I'm guessing that uh, that Jimmy and, and Coach Stig have had those conversations in the past about everything else that comes about with being the head coach. But I do wonder, you know, if you know if if Coach Stiglmeyer had stayed on for another year, what he would have done to replace those assistants that have been lost, and if if Jimmy's going to have any other thoughts to that or if, if it changes slightly about how they go about replacing those assistants that they lost is do you have you heard of any names or um is it still too early for that i think it's still too early i haven't heard any names uh other than just you know names that us in the media kind of kick around and speculate about um it is interesting you know i kind of wondered would, would they want Stig to have input on that? Because if there's one thing that you just absolutely cannot deny Stig has been outstanding at doing, it's hiring his assistants. Yes. You know, you, they just won their first national championship. But look at the staff. Zach Lujan, rookie offensive coordinator. Yep. Jimmy, Jimmy Rogers, his first year coaching, being the defense coordinator all by himself. Mm-hmm. Brian Bergstrom just left. Jason Eck just left. I mean, Luke Schleissner left. They've gone through a different running backs coach every year for the last how many years? Eric Eidsness, Clint Brown, Dan Jackson. There's so many coaches there um, that had such a big impact on uh, not just you know the transition to Division One, but just the last five, six, seven years of taking this program to that next level. And half of them aren't even here anymore. Every time a coach leaves whether he goes to be a head coach somewhere or goes to be an FBS coordinator or assistant or, or whatever it is, um, Stig has routinely replaced them with the right guy. Mm-hmm. And if you talk to Stig, if you talk to the other coaches, they'll tell you it isn't just about, oh, go hire the guy with the most impressive resume. You know, go hire the guy who's got the most, you know, stars on his belt, whatever. I mean, John manages to interview, find, and pick the right guy for for that particular program. He might choose someone with the lesser resume or the lesser accomplishment accomplishments because he recognizes this is a guy that fits here. And I sure can't think of too many guys he's hired over the years that haven't worked out extremely well. Um, so you lose one guy, another guy steps in. He's just been so good at that. Um, if I was Justin Sell, if I was Jimmy Rogers, I'd at the very least want his input yes. on how you how you find a way to keep that going. Because that's going to be one of the most important things Jimmy has to do in the early stages of, of his new job now is he's got to replace at least three or four assistant coaches, and he wants to make sure he gets the right ones so he can continue doing what Stig did and keeping that culture running smoothly. I would hope that Jimmy would seek Stig's input and you know that, that Coach Stigelmeyer will have that um, kind of just still be a part of the program in some capacity you know, even if it's more of like a, hey, you know, what do you think about this? But I also wonder, too, if does that, if he's still a part of it, you know, if they're reaching out to him saying, like, hey, do you think this assistant would be good? What about this? You know, you want to be part of the interview process. Does that maybe overshadow Jimmy a little bit here that in in, in the fact that Jimmy can't, put the, his official stamp on the program right. if Jimmy, right. or if head coach Stiglmeyer is there? I think my guess would be uh, John will be available, you know, for any advice or, or questions that they have. But knowing John and just sort of reading between the lines of some of the things he said this morning, 
I think he's going to disappear for a while. Um, and all I mean by that is I don't think he's going to be making a lot of public appearances. I think, I don't think he's going to be like, Hey, I want to get kicked upstairs into a cushy, you know, uh, front office type job mm-hmm. where I'm still around all the time. I think he, out of deference to Jimmy and probably a desire to, you know, take a break from it a little bit yeah. is, is going to silently kind of move away off to the side. Like I said, he'll probably still be in constant contact with Jimmy privately, you know, text messages, phone calls, whatever. Um, but I think he'll probably say, Hey, this is Jimmy's team. Now he needs time and space to do things his way, to bring in his people, to put in whatever kind of game plan he wants to. I mean, Jimmy's, like you said, it's been about two or three years since it was basically decided, okay, Jimmy's going to be the next guy. So they've been preparing for this. This isn't something that happened overnight that nobody's ready for. Uh, I, I think John will, will respect Jimmy in that way, and, and I think uh, the, the administration will do the same. Uh, but at the same time, like I said, Jimmy's going to have plenty of support. He's only, what, 34, 35 years old, and I think he's smart enough to kind of know what he doesn't know. You know what I mean? Yep. And, and, and use that, those resources that are around him to make sure he's not biting off more than he can chew or what have you. Oh, I think obviously he doesn't want to disappoint uh, Stig right. or, you know, tear not, not tear down, but like don't drop off of what Stig has built. And that is a championship caliber and now a championship winning program. I don't think that that's going to be the case. I think he's going to try and emulate as much of, you know, not certainly not Stig's personality, but... Um, just what he did to help build this program into now, uh, you know, the Division One, one of the top Division One FC or FCS programs in the country. And I guess that speaks to my next question, or you know, I guess wh- where does what what is Coach Stegelmeyer's legacy now in all of this? Either just football program or South Dakota State in general. I mean, it it's. It's large, no doubt about it. He has made an impact on so many people, not just players, but the community at large. Where, what's his legacy like now as he leaves? I mean, it's it's godlike to you know, he he would hate me using that phrase, but yeah. I mean, it, it's it's legendary. You know, I mean, he was a Hall of Famer. He was a South Dakota coaching legend before he won a national championship, and now that he's got one, I mean, it's I don't know that anyone has a quote unquote perfect resume. Um, but you know, 199 wins, a, a national championship at the Division One level, something that probably nobody really envisioned uh, when they made the move to Division One, because we all remember it's been talked about over and over again. This was an average Division Two program mm-hmm. when John took over, um, and for him to lead them through that transition, manage to not get fired during that transition, and then kind of come out the other side and go, okay. We made it. We survived. We're in Division One now. Now let's go win and do something special. And you look at where the facilities are now, the number of players in the NFL, uh, the number of former Stiglmeyer assistants who are now doing big things at the college football level. I mean, just, you know, Jake Dicker, Jason Eck, those are just a couple of them. But, I mean, they're, they're all over the, the map, mm-hmm. guys who have gone on to, to very successful coaching careers. Um, it, it, it's as impre- impressive a legacy as you could have as far as, you know, the things you write down on someone's bio. But then John said it himself this morning, and and I know this is kind of a corny thing, but I think in John's case it really is true. He's like, I don't want my legacy to be championships, trophies, wins and losses, all that kind of stuff. 
He's like, I want my legacy to be, you know, making a difference in people's lives. And everyone says things like that, you know? And I think every coach on some level does make an impact on other people's lives. But I don't know, and you can attest to this too, Nate. I, I don't know if there's too many coaches in the country at any level of any sport who make the kind of impact that John does beyond his players, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, like I said, almost every coach of any sport impacts the lives of his players. Yep. That's a family, that's a relationship that if you haven't been a part of it, you don't understand it, and it's it's a special thing. Yep. But John, John's ability to impact fans, to impact other staff at the school, to impact children, to impact the families of his players and coaches, to even impact those of us in the media. I mean, think of how much all of us are going to miss him, yes. how well he treated us over the years. Uh, yep. There's very, very few coaches, like I said, anywhere that I think had such a far reach in how many people they impacted, how many people are probably, and I include myself in this, feel like they're better people just for having known him. Mm-hmm. And, I th- and I think ultimately that, paired with everything he accomplished between the lines, it makes for a legacy that's that's uh, pretty spotless. Oh, for sure. I remember when I did the radio show on the campus radio station in school, he would come on we, uh, every mm-hmm. once in a while. And uh, he went to the same church as my grandparents did for a while. And when my grandpa passed away about five years ago, he came to the visitation and uh, you know, he's just, he's such a down to earth and just overall great guy. In fact, he, uh, my, my oldest son was three months at the time. He said, he's built like a linebacker. I said, well, is there a scholarship available for 2036? And he said, uh, yeah. So now I might have to ask Jimmy about that if that's still the case, but offer still on the table. Yeah. <laughs> see, up, it's just, he's just one of those great guys, though, great human beings. And yeah, as you said, he, I mean, he's everyone around him is better for knowing him and I think that's a tremendous legacy and he is a national champion now and that leads us to this national championship in Frisco and it was a dominating performance I would say offensively it was almost as flawless as you could get especially against a team like NDSU I mean it was just spectacular to watch. I, I'll admit I was nervous. I think a lot of people were nervous just because, oh, the Bison undefeated in Frisco. It is against your rival. But if there was ever a doubt that the Jackrabbits weren't the better team, they, they put that to bed in a hurry. They put that to rest in Frisco. Yeah, it was very complete. And I think everyone knew the possibility existed for that to happen because the Jacks had the better resume. They were pretty clearly the better team. You just looked at the personnel. The Jacks were better at most position groups. Um, and then you factor in all the injuries that NDSU had, and it was just like, okay, objectively, regardless of what you are hoping happens, regardless of where your loyalties lie, sure looks like this team's significantly better than the other one. Um, and you heard that all week from Jacks fans and Bison fans. But... Obviously, the but was it's still North Dakota State, and they're still playing it in Frisco, where they never lose. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there were too many fans on either side who thought that was going to be enough for the Bison. And there sure didn't seem to be too many people in the media that felt that way either. I mean, the chatter in the press box leading up, to, like even on Thursday and Friday, let alone on Sunday morning, nobody was picking the Bison. And a lot of people were picking the Jacks by as many as two scores. I picked the Jacks to win by 11. I saw a few other people had them by 14, 17. That was almost a little jarring. You're like, mm-hmm. wow, that's how much people believe in this team. 
or don't believe in North Dakota State. Right, which is uh, dangerous. <laughs> right, right. Um, but then the game started, and you're like, okay, what what was supposed to happen is happening. The superior team, and then, like I said, I think the injuries were a big, big factor. If North Dakota State's 100% healthy, I do think it's a different game. I think the Jacks still win, but with all those injuries on top of it, once the Jacks got rolling, it just kind of felt like North Dakota State, like even like they recognize, like, hey, we just don't have the horses today. We don't have the bullets to compete with this team. And then you throw on top of it, I just think there was a tremendous sense of, of urgency on the side of SCSU of understanding, like, this is our chance. Not it's not that it's going to be our only chance, but, like, if you don't get it done this year, man, it might never happen yep. because Seize the stars the have all aligned for you. You're the better team. The other team's banged up. And then you see this sea of blue come down to Frisco. All we heard all week Fargo South <laughs> was Fargo South. And even we were hearing, when I say we, I mean us in the media, we were hearing from people in Frisco like, yeah, it's going to be like 70-30 Bison fans. And kind of being like, really? Is it really? And like, hey, it's not, that's not a, a shot at SDSU. It's just that's how awesome Bison fans are. And they buy their tickets years in advance. And they're used to it. They do it, they do it all the time. So there's, there's just nothing you can do about it. You can't, you can't overwhelm the Bison. They're just going to take over. Mm-hmm. Well, that obviously did not happen. It was right. not like that at all. And I think all of those things had a big impact on how the game ultimately ended up playing out. I asked a couple of people, this. what would you rate the crowd at? Was it 65-35 blue, or was it closer to 50-50? No, it was, no, it, was, it, was clo- it was pretty close to 50-50. Okay, it, it uh, seemed like Jackrabbit fans were louder, and there you know, seemed like more seas of blue that you saw, but of course you're probably going to show that more when your team is winning. Well, and the the TV the, the stadium was literally split. Like they put the blue on one sure. side and the green on the other, and the TV camera was facing the blue side. That would make sense. If, yeah. if you had the camera on the other side, you would have seen nothing but green and yellow. Sure. Um, so that, but that from a TV standpoint, that certainly worked to the Jacks' favor. Anyone watching the game on TV is probably going, "Jesus, look at all the Jackrabbit fans!" Right. You know, um, early, I, it might have been a little more. You know, as I talked to more people who were down on the field, who were out in the parking lot, who were walking around. Uh, I heard a lot of Jackrabbit fans say that they felt like it was maybe 55, 45 Jacks. I still had some Bison fans who were like, no, there was still more, still more yellow, still more green. But even if there was, it was, you know, like I said, I thought it was pretty close to 50, 50. Um, but certainly you're right. The Jacks fans were louder because they had more to cheer for. Yeah, they did. I mean, you know, once NDSU, it was a fun game. Even if you're a Jacks fan, in that, you know, they score first, take a 7 nothing lead. Don't get me wrong. It, I'm sure Jackson would love to just win 55 nothing. Uh, but the fact that NDSU kind of made it a game for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, you had about a quarter and a half of nervousness. I was getting all these messages from Jacks fans like, I've never been more nervous in my life. Oh, my God, why can't we just blow them out? Why does it have to be a close game? Yep, right and just when it was looked like it was going to be a, a dogfight, you got the fumble, the turnover, the touchdown to go 21-7. And you kind of felt right there, like, okay, here it comes. And that's exactly what happened, and it was pretty much a a jackrabbit party the rest of the way. It sure was. And, you know, even, like, when they went on that 99-yard scoring drive, too, it was like, okay, anything can happen. But when they decided to kick the extra point, I I don't know why NDSU chose to do that. That felt like a giving up for sure. It's like, okay, I think, like, Jacks fans can breathe a little little easier now because it's still a three score game 
any indication why NDSU chose not to go for two there? Was that just a mental lapse, or did they think that going for one would be easy and getting two touchdowns and a field goal would be easier? I, I don't know. That that was very confusing to me. If that was asked to Matt Entz, it was at a time when I, I, I didn't catch his entire press conference, only part of it. Um, I think by the time the game ended, it was kind of a moot point, and no one was really talking about it much anymore. Sure, um, time, it was weird. It, it was weird at the time. I mean, you know, may, I don't know if there was the, the idea was there's too much time left to start quote unquote chasing points. You know, um, I certainly would have gone for two in that spot. I was surprised by it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they were afraid that if they missed it, they gave the Jacks more momentum or something. It was weird, but it, you know, you know what? It also could have been. It also could have been that Matt Entz realized like. That point's not ultimately going to matter. This, mm-hmm. this, we're not going to beat this team today. Yep, yep, certainly could. It was just out of the time, and like I said, just a flawless game, uh, pretty much offensively, and that speaks to how good Zach Luan has been all, uh, you know, for the most part, season long. They had a few bumps in there, but he certainly has uh, done a great job. And now you have this youthful staff, you know, with you know, twenty-six year old offensive coordinator, and your head coach is thirty-four years old, and you know, SDSU for a while was one of like the only programs in the con- or sc- schools in the country that had as much uh, coaching experience at the men's and women's basketball level and head coaching levels as as SDSU. I think they were number one. In fact, now we've seen Scott Nagy move on. Uh, T.J. Otzelberger was here for a little bit. Now you got Eric Henderson. You've got Jimmy Rogers as the head coach. AJ still doing his thing uh, with the women. By the way, that was a great. Uh, I, I really enjoyed you breaking that uh, Carlos Correa news to him in the press conference. That was very <laughs> cool. That was that was awesome. Uh, but you know, you just kind of wonder now: can they go about this again and keep this continuity amongst all of these these sports? Because I mean, that was almost unheard of at the college level. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, there's been a lot of rumors in the last couple of years that. Uh, Eric Henderson's getting a lot of attention for what he had, has done replacing TJ. I don't think Hendo's going to be there forever, Probably. although yep. maybe this year the the interest cools off a little bit and he can stick around a little longer. Um, John Stiglmeyer was obviously an outlier. Yep. Even, Scott, even Scott Nagy was an outlier to some degree, even though he eventually did leave. Um, you know, John made obviously a very nice salary towards the end of his career, but not nearly as much as, you know, he probably could have commanded uh, Jimmy Rogers. I think I, I, I think he's going to do well, um, but yeah, he's 34. Like if he wins multiple national championships before he even turns 40, 45, like is he just going to is he going to be like Stig and say no, nope, this is home, this is where I'm staying? I mean, maybe we've seen how emotionally attached he is to this place, mm-hmm. but I think it's more likely that if he has that kind of success. Someone's going to come and pluck him. I mean, we, we yep. just got done talking about, you know, Jason Eck, uh, Jake Dicker, uh, Ryan Grubb, all these guys that, you know, are making big. That, and the other thing is just the money. I mean, yep. there's so much money in FBS football, and that pot keeps growing. Yep. I mean, Ryan, Ryan Grubb is Kalen DeBoer's defensive coordinator at Washington. He makes $2 million a year oh as God. the D coordinator. Yeah, you know, guy who was a, a grad assistant for Stig 15 years ago. Um, it's going to be really hard to keep guys when there's that kind of money out there. Um, but, you know, I think we always knew that the the Stig and AJ situations were unique, that it wasn't going to be like that forever. You just look 100 miles down the road. USD doesn't quite have the 
whatever you want to call it, um, that, that SDSU has had. And I don't just mean on-field success, but the same people in place to do what those guys have done. Mm-hmm. And US, US, USD's had to battle that, you know. Craig Smith had success. Someone plucked him away. Yep. Don Plitzoid had success. Amy Williams, they got plucked away. Same thing's going to happen to Eric Peterson mm-hmm. and Kayla Carius if they win. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bob Nielsen maybe was a reaction to that. He's an older coach. He's probably going to retire as USD's head football coach. But whoever replaces him is probably either you know going to not succeed and get fired or succeed and, and move on. So those days are probably over to some degree. Um, and that just is another reason I think that so many people – uh, are appreciating Stig today is knowing that it's a little bit of a, an end of an era, the throwback to the Division Two days. For sure, for sure. I saw this, I think it was last week, you and Zach uh, Borg uh, were talking about, uh, you know, just reacting to the to the win and, and everything, and I think you, you, you talked about what this does for uh, not just SDSU, you know, the football team moving forward, but the university and the state at large. Can you just speak to that a little bit more? Like, what does this national championship do, not only for the yellow and blue, but, you know, the city, the state, and you know, football, like, within the state of South Dakota? I think it's really big for football in South Dakota and for, and for the Jackrabbits in particular. I don't think, um, well, a better way to put it is you just look at right now, high school football in South Dakota is really good. And obviously when you've got a Lincoln Key and Holtz type of player, he's not going to play FCS football. He's going to Ohio State. Yep. That's fine. You're going to have guys like that. Jacob Knuth at Minnesota. There's other examples out there. Um, but if there's anybody, any kid who's not going at that level, they want to play for the Jacks. You know? And then even if they go to that level and decide to come back, Chase Mason, where did he decide to go when he left Nebraska? SDSU. Matthew Morris was at Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. He's from Yankton, you know, right outside USD's campus. When he came back, he wanted to go to SDSU. Mm-hmm. Uh, they basically get any local kid they want right now, and that's before they won a national championship. Right. Now they've got that on top of it. I mean, what program do you think right now high school football players in this state want to be a part of? Yeah. The one that's, you know, season ended in November or the one that just played on national TV in January? Yep. That's going to be huge for them. And, yeah, I think there's also a residual effect. You made reference to that press conference with AJ. I'm sure you heard also some of the comments he made there about what it means to the entire campus, the entire athletic department, yep. to have a good football team. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> It's not just the women's program. Like I think AJ had said it's, it's the sports, it's the school in total, you know, mm-hmm. how good everyone is. Right, because, I mean, if you're on the basketball team, if you're on the baseball team, you go to the football games on Saturdays in the fall. You know, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Football, as AJ alluded to, football kind of brings people together, the campus together, in a different way than other sports do. Because there's only one game a week. It's this big party every Saturday. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, and there's, it's, it's just, it's unlike any other sport. And when you can have the kind of success that they've had, it brings it brings everything up a notch, you know. We'll see. Justin Sell comments to me that oh, whenever you win a national championship, enrollment goes up, donations go up. We'll see if that actually happens. That sounds a little anecdotal to me, yep. but it, it maybe it will. Maybe it will. Yep. You know. But the bottom line is, from a football standpoint, uh, they just strengthened their grip on this state by winning that national championship. And I, I gotta just say this: this national championship. I know it's only one, but it feels like a few more just because it was against North Dakota State. And I think a lot of Jackrabbit <laughs> fans 
feel that way because it's not like the Vikings can't beat the Packers for the Super Bowl. Uh, right. You, you right. Know, you you don't have this chance to beat your rival for a national championship and forever SDSU can say, well, in the first, you know, the, inevitably NDSU will beat SDSU in a, in the national championship game. But for now, it's like, hey, we have more national championships head to head than than the Bison do, and I think that that too brings a great source of pride. I'll, let, I'll get you out of here on, on this, and I always appreciate your time, but you are moving on to New Ventures, Sioux Falls Live, and I believe the uh, Forum Communications, is that correct? Uh, what are, where, where are we going to be able to find you? What, uh, what, what, what will you be doing? I'll be doing mostly the same stuff I've been doing. Um, Forum Communications is trying to move into Sioux Falls. Uh, there's obviously some... Uh, chaos for lack of a better word sure. in the Sioux Falls media market right now and by coming in I think Fargo's adding to that chaos a little bit but there's the hope that things will, will settle down and we'll have a better idea of, of what's shaking sort of in the media in South Dakota um, I'm going to be a part of that and they own the Fargo newspaper they own the Mitchell Daily Republic mm-hmm. newspaper so you'll see a lot of my work in those two newspapers print wise but then, yes, as you mentioned, Sioux Falls Live is their newest venture. It's an attempt for, uh, by Forum Communications uh, to get into the Sioux Falls market. There's going to be a TV station involved. Uh, and starting Monday, that's where you will see most of my work on Sioux Falls Live, Mitchell Republic, Fargo Forum. And I hope I can just more or less pick up right where I left off. Uh, it won't be entirely the same because for now, I'm the only sports person at Sioux Falls Live, I'll be covering the Yotes, I'll be covering high schools, I'll be covering some NSIC stuff, uh, but hope, you know, but I've already been doing that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I've been doing plenty of that when time has allowed at the Argus Leader, so. So you still will uh, be covering the Jacks, though, to a degree? That will still be my primary okay. uh, responsibility, yes, so I was at, even though I'm kind of technically a free agent until Monday, uh, I was still at the press conference this morning, yep. just like I always would be. And like yep. I said, hopefully on Monday, I just pick up right where I left off. Well, very good. Well, excited for you and your new venture here. And hopefully we'll be able to talk more here uh, You know, as we approach the Summit League tournament and certainly as we're looking forward to football. But uh, always appreciate the time. This is certainly a, a, a exciting time for South Dakota State. That was a bit of a sad time with Coach Stig leaving, but uh, the program uh, seems to be in very capable hands with with Jimmy Rogers. We we hope, and uh, we'll see if they can keep uh, that national championship caliber going. It's been a fun ride so far. I know uh, Jackrabbit fans all across the country are enjoying it. They enjoy your work. I enjoy your work as well, and I always enjoy the uh, talking with you on the podcast. Thanks so much, Matt, and we'll talk soon. You bet, Nate. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Matt Zimmer from the uh, formerly the Argus Leader, now Sioux Falls Live and Forum Communications as of Monday. Uh, very much appreciate this time. That was great stuff there and timing impeccable here. Uh, we recorded this on the Friday. You're hearing it this week on the podcast, but just incredible stuff. So we're going to wrap up this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast, look back at the divisional week in the NFL, and make some early picks for the championship game that's coming up next year. And we'll see what else we need to get to as well. All here on the Sports Block Podcast, available on podcast.com. And on iTunes, and I will get Matt's new Twitter handle later on here. That's coming up next. Here, well, his Twitter handle isn't, but NFL stuff, well, let's just continue to listen and do the Sports Block Podcast, available on podcast.com and on iTunes. All right, we're going to wrap up this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast, look back at the NFL Divisional Round, and make some picks for Championship Week. 
Chiefs beat the Jaguars 27-20. Patrick Mahomes suffers a high ankle sprain in this one. He has to leave the game with the Chiefs up 10-7. And Chad Henney leads the Chiefs on a 98-yard touchdown drive. It kind of felt like at that point, like, oh my gosh, if the Jaguars wanted you know, a chance to win this game, they needed to stop the Chiefs there. They didn't. The Chiefs go on to win 27 to 20. A few turnovers, uh, including a fumble by uh, Jamal Agnew, did not help. But don't worry, the Jaguars are good, and we'll see if Mahomes can play this week. I have my doubts. Uh, certainly, he won't be 100%. Speaking of not playing this week, how about the New York Giants? Holy crap! They uh, shame on the Minnesota Vikings for making for that defense making the Giants look like a competent offense. Eagles crush the Giants 38 to seven. Jalen Hurts. Uh, two passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown in this one. Eagles ran all over the G-men. Sunday, then we had the Cincinnati Bengals. A pissed off Cincinnati Bengals team, and rightfully so. They go into Buffalo and they smack the Bills around 27-10. Uh, they score two touchdowns on their opening two possessions. Joe Burrow was 9-for-9 uh, nine nine with two touchdowns. He was great. The Buffalo Bills defense offered zero resistance against them. Josh Allen and the Bills offense didn't play very good. Stephon Diggs losing his mind, as uh, Vikings fans know so well. And so the Bengals get the 27-10 win. No neutral site game for the AFC Championship now as a result. And the Bengals uh, feel real bad about that. And then the 49ers beat the Cowboys 19-12. Bill Maher missed another extra point. This one was actually blocked. Uh, the Cowboys, this was a great game. A great defensive struggle. The Cowboys did a great job stopping the run for the most part. And then the 49ers finally got physical and... Christian McCaffrey got in the end zone for their lone touchdown. Uh, it was a very, uh, again, dominating defense. You know, kind of slowed down Brock Purdy and company. But uh, the Cowboys, you know, Dak Prescott throws a couple of interceptions. They lose Tony Pollard to a high ankle sprain and a fractured fibula. And, I mean, that just really hurt their offense. And then that la the play at the end. Like, what is that? Well, what is that? I, mean, I get it. You're right. It's just the timing didn't work out. I think you want your lineman downfield to block. You have a wide receiver or two who could, you could maybe pitch it to, but Turpin didn't have enough time, and the Cowboys season once again ends, and that leads us to Championship Sunday. It begins 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central Time on Fox. The two-seeded 49ers against the one-seeded Eagles. I know that there are some injury concerns for the 49ers with Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell. I believe both will play, and... Like, Brock Purdy has been tested, but not like this. Not going into the link into Philadelphia against that Eagles defense. I think the 49ers... I, I'm picking the 49ers. I don't say that with a great degree of confidence. If the injuries to the running backs, to Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell, prove to be too much, I will switch that pick to the Eagles. But right now, I'm going with the 49ers. I, 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 I don't trust... You know, myself picking this rookie quarterback, but the 49ers are just so good. And I think they'll find a way to slow down and maybe rough up Jalen Hurts a little bit. We'll see if Hurts can get through the game unscathed by injury. Um, we'll go with the 49ers uh, to slow down that Eagles offense. And then 6.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 p.m. Central Time on CBS. It's the three-seeded Cincinnati Bengals at the one-seed Kansas... Or at the one-seed, yes, Kansas City Chiefs. Um... Bengals, uh, Joe Burrow has never lost to Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes has never beaten the Bengals. 0-3, that's enough for me. Give me the Bengals against so certainly a hobbled Patrick Mahomes. I hope I'm wrong. I uh, hope the Chiefs get there, but 
I'm going with the Bengals. And that uh, does it for the picks for this week. Official picks and predictions can be found in the stack, stackattack.sportsblog.com in our Football Friday post. Uh, Thanks, as always, for listening to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. We'll be back next week. We'll try and get maybe Jeff Lloyd, the second from the Lockdown Browns podcast, on to talk about the upcoming Senior Bowl and some prospects to watch for there. Um, So looking forward to that because it is about that time of the year, uh, scouting, you know, NFL Combine and everything. So it's a lot of fun, and we'll definitely get his thoughts on, on everything. So... Uh, hopefully he'll join us for that. Travis, as always, will join me. We'll talk college basketball. We'll talk the NFL. Maybe Noah will talk to Travis, too, again. You never know. So for all of us here at the Sports Block Podcast, for Travis and and Matt, I'm Nathan. Thank you so much for listening to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Uh, Matt Zimmer's um, Twitter handle, by the way. I think we got it. Matt J. Zimmer, I believe, is the new updated... Uh, yes, Matt J. Zimmer on Twitter. So that's the new Twitter handle for Matt. So for all of us here at the Sports Block Podcast, for Travis and Matt, I'm Nathan. Thank you so much for listening to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Have a great week. Enjoy Championship Sunday, and we'll be back next week to break it all down. Nathan Stacken saying thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week on another edition of the Sports Block Podcast.